Pokémon. After it was all over the adrenaline, like everything settled, he was like, oh my God. Oh shit, I just killed somebody. Yeah, and he was like, get rid of my clothes, get rid of this, get rid of this. And it was like, yeah, like I felt that. Like if I killed someone, that was my very first reaction too. I'd I would like, cry. I'd be like, oh fuck. I would cry and then call you. I would, yeah, and then I'd be like, kill yourself, Corey. I don't know what to tell you. And then you're like, okay. I'd be like, okay. And I'm like, and I'll kill, kill myself <laughs> so no one will know it was you that did it. Your no, secret's yeah. safe. I wouldn't say I called you. I would, I would, I would destroy my phone. <laughs> We just we both destroy our phones and kill our, uh, kill ourselves. Everyone's like they obviously <laughs> were the ones. Like they were obviously the ones. <laughs> it was them. But yeah, it's been fun researching this, and I can't believe I'm only like, you know, I'm barely scraping the surface of Ted Bundy and everything. But um, and I'm excited for the part two. I think it'll be really fun. Ooh, yeah, it'll be fun. And the case files. Yeah, I, I I did I I focused mostly on facts and what happened, and then the next time I'll I'll like give my two cents and stuff cool yeah yeah i focused on my it's like a normal true crime segment for me in a sense just like this oh, is yeah, what yeah. happened ooh, because this is like a true crime two-parter and that's why next time the two-parter will be a supernatural one yeah so it'll be like whoa well actually oh, yeah, our yeah. next true part two-parter is elizabeth smart yeah it's elizabeth smart. we already have that done that's true. bless up well yeah let's let's say hi hello Hello. Hello, everybody. It is I, Ted Bundy. No, it is I. I am Channa. I'm Corey. Welcome to Anyways, How's Your Sex Life? Anyways, Today is a two-to-three-parter episode. We don't know yet. Unknown. Right now, it's at least two parts, but this has been so much research as for part one that we both talked and we're like, we might need to make part two another two-parter. So this could be three parts or, or two-parter. I don't know. We'll keep you updated. We don't know yet. But it is on something very crazy popular I yeah guess. and intense and intense it's about the one the only ted bundy ah! yes i love ted bundy we're talking about the real ted bundy not zach efron ted bundy nope we're talking about the real motherfucking theodore bundy theodore insert middle name um i know richard? i wrote it down but i don't remember it's an it. r yeah We'll get to it. I'll tell you in a minute. Theodore Richard Bundy. (laughs) (laughs) It's not Richard. But yeah, we're talking about Ted Bundy for the next couple episodes. Why? Because you know him. You love or hate him. You've heard of him. And he, and this is our 25th episode. So this is a big milestone for us. Yeah. Netflix came out with a documentary recently about him. And then uh, Zac Zac Efron Efron is in the movie Shockingly Vile, Wicked, whatever. It's like the longest movie title. Yeah. It's like a quote from a judge who sentenced him in, in Florida. Too long, if you ask uh, Too me long. Um, yeah, it, that's coming out and literally next Friday. May 3rd. Or actually this Friday. When you hear the episode, it comes out. Oh, wait. It's no, the next it's Friday the next after Friday, that. Because it's yeah. after our part two. Yeah, when you hear part two, it'll come out the Friday after part two. Yeah, so yeah. stay tuned. Um, let's jump into announcements first. Do it. And then uh, we'll you know, do our usual shit. So announcement. I've been saying this for a couple weeks now. <laughs> you are sick of me hearing this. Yes. But I don't give a fuck. 
Do you want a $50 Amazon gift card? Yes. Obviously, you do. Because why the fuck wouldn't you? So you can enter to win one by rating us on iTunes. That equals one entry. Or rating us and leaving a review. That equals two entries. So take a screenshot of your rating or your review and send it to us on Instagram, Facebook, or email. And we will add you to the giveaway. You have until April 30th to send me a screenshot. That's about a week and a half from now, from when you're listening to yep. this. Um, and the winner will be announced on Instagram on May 1st and in our episode that will be released on May 6th. Um, no screenshot equals we cannot find you because people are leaving reviews and not sending to it us and no I deal. have no idea who you are. Yeah. So send us a screenshot of your review through Instagram, Facebook, email, like I said, and get that fucking money, you guys. Yeah, it's 50 fucking dollars, Work. so why wouldn't you? Also, you next announcement. and yourself. Yes. Oh, and we'll send you voodoo chips. And we're sending you voodoo chips, yes. And that is. We are not sending you drawings of our genitalia. Yeah. Or butts. We're redacting that. We're not. We're redacting (laughs) that because some of y'all are underage. And yeah. But if you're above age, we'll talk. (laughs) (laughs) We'll negotiate. We'll negotiate. Um, Next announcement is it is almost time for listener stories again. Yes, bitch. So send us. Yes, bitch. So send us (laughs) your. I love listener stories. Yeah, listener stories are fun. So send us your scary stories, sex stories. Stories, funny crazy sex stories, stories uh, crazy related true crime stories like your mother, you know, saw, I don't know. Your mother um, made out with the Ted son Bundy. of Sam, you know, yeah. shoot somebody. Or like, like you heard a legend in your town about Ooh. the bridge. Yeah. Or like, like your older brother cut off his toe and then ate it. Something like yeah, that. Or like my sister did Bloody Mary and this is what happened to Ooh, her. Ooh, shit like, like that. Like, you know, shit like yeah. that. So send us your scary stories. Or if you're like, oh my God, I was fucking this dude, right? Like send us your funny yes. sex stories. Anything that you think could be part that we would say on our podcast, yeah. send it to us. Um, you can be anonymous. Just let me know. Just be like, yo, Chana or Corey, like I want to be anonymous. Yeah. Like, if you chill. don't say it. You will not be anonymous. Yeah, unless it's like through Facebook. I'll give your first name or your Instagram oh, handle, true, true, but I will not be like. <laughs> be like Jared Phillips that lives at 4213 Fake Street. There is a Jared Phillips that probably lives at 4123 Fake Street. And he's like, <laughs> he's oh like, my God. <laughs> Social security number 666-69-426. Um, anyways, last thing is you can find us in our Instagram, which is. Anyways, has your sex life. Yes. Our Twitter and Facebook is AHYSL Podcast, and our website is AHYSLpodcast.com, and our email is AHYSLpodcast at gmail.com. Easiest thing is you can just go to our website and you could reach our Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, email, all of that directly through our website. Yep. Just go to the links. Yeah. Just go to the fucking links. That's it. Boom. Announcements. Announcements. So second thing is that we are now going to start a Patreon in the next uh, week or two before the end of April for sure. Yeah, bitch. Yeah. So I'm actually pretty sure before the episode after part two, we will have a Patreon up and live and we'll announce that when it happens on Instagram and we'll announce it after it is live on the soonest, you know, episode. Yeah. But what we're going to do is next week, we are going to release a bonus episode that is going to demonstrate some kind of bonus content that we do. It's going to be called uh, Fuck, Mary Get Killed By. <laughs> and it's basically yes. we're going to put together um, horror, like horror figures like Freddy Krueger or Jason or the Babadook and uh, smash them together the with nun. like Ted or the nun. Yeah. And then smash them together with like Ted Bundy or the son of Sam or the John Manson. Wayne Garcia. Yeah. Yeah. Or, stuff like Gracie. that. Or like who did Jonestown? What's his name? 
Jim Jones. Jim, jo- Jim Jones. Jones. So I couldn't remember Jim. <laughs> yeah, Jim Jones. Jimmy Jones. And basically, we're gonna say we're gonna mix them all up in a bowl, and we're gonna pull them out in threes, and we're gonna say who do you want to fuck, who do you want to marry, or who do you want to get killed by. Yeah. So that's gonna be um, that's gonna be an example of bonus content that we're gonna put on Patreon, and then. So also with that, we want to hear your opinion on the episode. Yes. So when we release it, we'll release it on like a Thursday or Friday at some point next week. Yeah. Unsure yet. You know, you'll get it when you get it. It's a yeah. bonus episode. But um, we want to hear your feedback. So if you send Please. us like a message on um, Instagram or Facebook or email us, just be like, hey, like, yeah, I'd be really interested in more bonus content like this. Yeah. Or no, I'm not interested in that. And I'll do like a poll on Instagram because we want to hear you guys' opinions on bonus content like that. Yeah. Because we will be posting bonus content where we shoot the shit in a way like the fuck marry and get killed by uh-huh. and like other and for example during thanksgiving we had like a whole thankful for horror bonus episode, exactly yeah. things like that so we'll have bonus episodes like ep- we'll have bonus episodes yeah that come out for free yeah anyways but also but on top of some that, will be exclusively some for patreon will be exclusively, yeah. um, other type of episodes that would be available for patreons are case files and you'll hear us start mentioning it um, throughout the next couple episodes for Ted Bundy and throughout any case we think that needs mm-hmm. a case file. So an example of a case file is it's pretty much giving more information on a specific topic that is covered by our general topic they're talking about that day. So I have one example. Okay. My first one I can think of is during the Mothman prophecies. Or the Mothman. Sorry, that's the movie. During the Mothman episode that I did, yeah. there was a whole year of like crazy ass motherfucking shit that happens that is just like crazy UFOs and spirits, et cetera, et cetera, yeah. that I breezed over in between the first the first November that everything happened to the second November where everything accumulated with the bridge collapsing. Yeah. That whole year, I crazy breezed over. That but would be, be a, case a, cra- file. A, a case file. Another example is during a Slenderman episode, we talked about mm-hmm. proxies. That would be a case file. Or the Alyssa Lamb episode, the elevator, the elevator game, game, case file. And yeah. so anytime we feel like it's going to be a case file, we'll mention that. Like, okay, this is going to be a case file. Yeah. So it's pretty much getting a bunch of extra information. And the whole episode would be based on just that case file. Those episodes will probably range from you know 40 minutes to an hour, hour and a half. It kind of depends on the topic, yeah. but um, they, that will be available for Patreons. And so, yeah, with that, it's just like with these bonus episodes and case files, we, one, just want to hear from y'all if you like that and then two if it's worth the patreon because for a for a regular episode that's for free for y'all we do six to eight hours of um, research on our own for it and then to do anything additional for this would just be like another six hours on top of that and nobody has time for that along with our jobs and school and boyfriends and et cetera et cetera et cetera food. and families yeah and just like you know jacking off like i yeah. need at least two hours a day to and jack masturbation off. yeah <laughs> So, so yeah, we just like thought like we would one do a Patreon and then two. There's no way we're not going to give you anything extra for the Patreon. So yeah. just give us feedback; it'd, it'd be great. What you guys like, what you don't like, and for Patreons, we'll probably post you know three, four, five extra things every month just for mm-hmm. Patreons. Yep. Um. So yeah. So definitely let us know what your thoughts are on that, and if you're interested in being a Patreon, and we'll be releasing Patreons pretty fucking soon, y'all. Woot. So, boom. So get ready. So get ready. Get your wallets ready. <laughs> um, next thing. Get those cards out, bitch. Get those Venmo us, bitch. <laughs> next thing is shout outs. Today is just one shout out because, <laughs> Corey, you want to explain it? So last week when we were talking about, I go, oh, my God, we have to talk about Davis. And Davis <laughs> is Hiram's uh, fiance. Yeah. And they and so we mentioned we mentioned Hiram before. 
and uh, with his art uh, that he does. And then we said, oh, we need to mention Davis. And then we went on a tangent and we didn't mention him again. Yeah. And when I was editing it, I was like, oh, fuck, we're not going <laughs> to mention him again. And we didn't. Yeah. So and we were sh- wasted when we, we were, were talking. About yeah, that. we were wasted. But um, so today I wrote the only shout out I am giving <laughs> is to Davis because we love Davis to death. Yeah. Davis is one of our best friends. Like Davis is my spirit sister. Yeah. We scissor. We scissor about vegan food we scissor about scissor aesthetics we, we scissor about anything you name it davis is amazing he's a photographer um he's located in utah so if you want anything done uh-huh. in utah definitely get a hold of him he also travels to california canada he goes to california like two or three times a year yeah and yeah. travels to canada things like that but he is amazing and we'll probably have him for a guest episode um in the future like yes. a featured guest but yeah davis Big shout out to him. Oh, you know what? I'll read his Instagram handle. Yeah, let's read it. I'll totally edit the space out. Okay, so his Instagram handle is Davis Smith Photo. So that's D-A-V-I-S-S-M-I-T-H-P-H-O-T-O. Davis Smith Photo. So like we said, he's engaged to Hiram. Hiram's the one who created the picture of Toulouse after he passed Mm -hmm. away. He's also one of our best friends. But go check him out. He's fucking amazing. And yeah. you'll hear from Sorry, him. Sorry, Davis. We forgot. <laughs> but we love you, Davis. We were hammered last the week. Second, the second I said that and then we started going on a tangent, I was like, fuck. Yeah, we went on like three <laughs> tangents. But I listened to the episode a few days ago and I was like, God damn. Like, God damn, our drunk asses. Okay, y'all. So. My faggot fact today, as I said, is on the entomology or the etymology, sorry, the etymology of faggot. Okay. And this is so deep Ooh, in your pussy. How deep? That, <laughs> knee, that knee the deep. etymology of faggot part one. Ooh! This will be a two parter. Or three parter. penetration parter. <laughs> this is the foreplay. This like you're putting the tip into us right now. No. Yeah. And more. We're dipping hard. Ooh, we're like half shaft right now. Uh-huh. Yeah. Like I'm breaking. What's the thing called? The hymen. The hymen. That is only. That's like broken like <laughs> once. It's not like a regrowing thing. I know. <laughs> okay, I was like, dear God, Corey. First <laughs> you know where the clit was. Now you think the hymen. No, I know the hymen is broken once, and that's like the big way to say you're a virgin or not, right? I guess, but like you, you or like, like my how hymen they did broke before science was a thing. Yeah, my hymen broke like from a tampon, or like you know, like oh. right, like in the car it could break, on God, a horse it could break. You know, some people have such thick hymens, though, they have to get surgically, like, removed in order oh to have sex. Oh, my God. Isn't that crazy? Ew. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. Sorry, girls. Oh. Anyways, faggot. Anyways, sorry, it makes me sad, because it hurts, right? What? When what? your hymen gets broken. I don't know. I don't remember when mine got broken. I'm assuming oh. mine was broken from a tampon. Oh. No, yeah, people say it, like, hurts. That's sad. Yeah. I Anyways, have Anyways, no we're talking about faggots. We're talking about faggots, not hymens. <laughs> <laughs> and specifically faggot men. Okay, so um, I'm going to go over the general, like, facts about faggot, and then we'll get into the actual, like, etymology of faggot. The Oxford English Dictionary defines faggot as a bundle of sticks, twigs, or brushwood tied together for use as fuel. Um, It's also often used in the context defined in the same dictionary as a faggot in the burning alive of people regarded as heretics as a method of execution. Also in... To carry a faggot as punishment in which a person regarded as a heretic or a person who has recanted heresy must publicly carry a faggot for a certain time as a mark of shame. Mm. So, again, that second part is more of like these are the common contexts that they're used in. Okay. So, the basic etymology of faggot starts from the Greek word phakalos. Um, developing into the Italian word fagotto. Ooh. <laughs> fagotto. Sounds like an ice cream. <laughs> yep. <laughs> then it- <laughs> I'll take one fagotto. 
<laughs> Can I get a faggot of like, ice cream? That's like the meme where it's like when a white girl goes, gracias, at a Mexican restaurant. It's like my favorite. When I go to Italy this summer, I'm like, Can I get a faggot of ice cream, please? Can I get a faggot They're like, They're like what the Americans. fuck, you fucking <laughs> American? <laughs> so then from faggot into the old French word faggot, and that's not like the old word of french it's the old french as in there is an old french like there's an old english okay so then to the old french word faggot with just one g so f-a-g-o-t then it's from faggot being adopted into middle english as faggot so then i had to look at what the fuck middle english means yeah so middle english is what happened after old english so middle english was a form of the english language spoken after the norman conquest of england in 1066 Middle English lasted from 1066 until the late 15th century, so the late 1400s. If you've ever heard of the Duke of Normandy or William the Conqueror, when you hear William the Conqueror, you're like, I've heard of that before. Yeah, yeah. Like, Um, I was in history class once or twice. Yeah, yeah. You basically have heard of this event. It's also, if you've played Age of Empires 2, like, that's where I heard it from. Oh. (laughs) So, yeah. (laughs) So, if you're a fucking nerd. So, if you're a fucking nerd. And you played Age of Empires 2. If you're a Fagato nerd. If you're a (laughs) Fagato. So that's like the basic etymology of faggot, like the actual word to word to word. So let's get into like the real etymology of faggot, like the social, cultural relation and stuff like that. So the first main origin of the word faggot comes from the late 16th century English as it began to be used as an abusive term for women and particularly old women. Interesting. Um, And it's just women who were like referenced as being shrewd or bothersome. (laughs) So (laughs) it is believed that this term could have easily began to reference homosexuality as female terms are often used with reference to homosexuals if they are effeminate. So like a good example is like sissy or a queen. Yeah, yeah. You know, so it's believed that maybe it was just Fruity, like, like they that, would yeah. call, um, like you would call a woman a faggot um, because she was like annoying or whatever. You didn't like her. So, yeah, so the crossover is pretty easy. Yeah. So like then you're like, sissy, oh, maybe we just started faggot, calling. Yeah. yeah. You call a girl a sissy and then you're like, oh, a boy's a sissy because he acts feminine. Yeah. And like, like oh, that like old woman's a faggot. And like, look at that guy. He's acting yeah. like a faggot. In mm-hmm. addition to the old women stuff, um, the application also sort of comes from the word uh, from the term faggot gatherer so faggot we know is a bundle of sticks mm-hmm. that's an actual real thing bundle of dicks, <laughs> bundle of dicks. <laughs> <laughs> so um a faggot gatherer was applied to to women and old women or widowed women mm. in the 19th century who as like you know gaining like a little bit of you know money they would go and gather bundles of sticks to be burned Mm. And so you would call them a faggot gatherer. And so it's said it's it's believed that possibly that was just turned to calling, oh, that faggot over there, that mm. wom- old woman and just used derogatorily like, oh, she's an old widowed woman. She's like faggot, all yeah. she uh, attributes to society is gathering faggots. So she's a faggot. And then if you saw an effeminate man, it was like, oh, he's a faggot. Yeah. You know, because oh. it already has that negative connotation. Yeah. To it. Yeah. <clears throat> am I a faggot gatherer? Because I <laughs> am the only woman in our friend group. It's like, come on, gays. Yep. Let's go to the restaurant. <laughs> you would modernly be referred to as a faggot gatherer. I'm going to change yeah. my Instagram handle to faggot gatherer. <laughs> faggot gatherer. <laughs> Instagram's like, you're you're done. <laughs> so the second one, which is I'm going to do the secondary origin, not the second main origin, because the second main origin is fucking awesome. Okay, so okay. the secondary um, origin of the word faggot is believed to come from the Yiddish word fegele. So, which is F-A-Y-G-E-L-E. Fagele. Sounds like a pasta. So we have fagata, fagata, which is an ice cream, and fagello. And fagele. Fagele, which is like. Fagele. Fagele. Um, it, it, it means, uh, like literally means little bird. 
which is cute because like in spanish cute. you call a gay person derogatorily a mariposa, yeah. mariposa which is a butterfly or we call like a gay person like a fruit yeah. you know something like that so that well that works i could see that like you know sort of same theme going on yeah. a motif or something like that so um yeah it's been claimed by a good amount of people um i don't know who those people are but yeah <laughs> it's just basically the same sort of thing that i just said so, i like it um, the second main origin of the word faggot is the best one. I love this. <laughs> I'm one. excited. Okay, so fagging oh. is a real thing yes. in British private schools in which younger bo- boys performed duties for older boys. And this they are potentially sexual. And as time went on, They're got more and sexual. more sexual because yeah. it turned to basically hazing. So oh, I'm getting great. ahead of myself. So fagging is in private schools in which younger boys perform duties for older boys as upperclassmen, those upperclassmen, those older boys were given both power and responsibility for the behavior of the younger boys. Mm. This created a key social structure to the school and house society. Although the word faggot was never used in this context, it was only fag. So fagging, mm. no faggot, it's just fag. Yeah. You're a fag or fagging. Mm. We are fagging. fagging. It is the operation of fagging or the social construct of fagging. Mm. Okay, so let's get into this. This is fun. <laughs> I like it. So, fagging. As of late 16th century, so the late 1500s, fagging was fully, it was a fully established system in the St. Paul's, Eton, and Winchester boarding schools in okay. England. Okay. So during the 19th century, so the 1800s, almost all British public schools had a fagging system as British society found it to be helpful in preparing the boys for real life as the fagging system like greatly reflected society as a whole. So, cause, so you have like the older people looking after the younger people yeah. and the older people being in charge of them, having this responsibility and learning that as they grow up while also punishing the younger people for being bad or doing things that were out of society, you know, out of accepted society, stuff like that. Fagging carried with it a well-defined rights and duties on both sides. The senior, sometimes called the fag master. Yes! Corey, you're my fag master. I know. I am not making Change a, your I wanna, Instagram handle to fag master. I know. Master. I want a fucking shirt that says fag master. Yes, for pride. <laughs> we're doing it. So this is real, y'all. I'm not making this up. This senior sometimes was called the fag master. Yes. And was the protector of his fags. Yes! Oh, my God. <laughs> and was responsible for their happiness and good content. Oh, my God. I'm not making this I up. I love it. <laughs> If anything happened within the school or outside of it, the fag master would be responsible to counsel and punish the junior boy or fag. And then I put lol because <laughs> I'm five years old. That's lol. So, I love the fag master. I love it. Fag master is like the best thing ever. There's one more term that's coming up. It's fun. Yes. So the duties undertaken by fags varied and each oh. school had its own traditions. In the 19th century, these tasks were usually blacking boots or shining boots. Blowjobs. <laughs> right. <laughs> brushing clothes and cooking breakfasts and there were no limits to the hours that they were told to do this so it's just like mm. basic like crazy ass hate like eight, 19th century hazing like yeah. 1800s hazing you can imagine how ridiculous and abusive it probably was and definitely like this is not me adding it like multiple accounts were like these things became sexual mm. and you can go online and search even with hazing in today like heterosexual men doing homosexual acts on other men is like a total heterosexual practice. It's but hey, like, if it's, you say no homo, you're good, yeah, right? Yeah, well, yeah, and we Lol. joke about that, but that's like a real psychological thing that like heterosexual men doing gay acts on each other is a way to show their their heterosexuality mm. and their masculinity. Like that's a thing. 
Like mm. you can go look it up. You just search some something like that. You will find multiple articles and like actual scientific psychological articles about it. Interesting. Yeah. So later fagging was restricted to such light tasks as running errands, uh, bringing tea to the fag master's yes. study and um, fagging at cricket or football. I don't know. I don't know what that means. Yeah. Where <laughs> but do, I probably I'm just do assume, it myself. Yeah. Fagging with, with the, cr- the cricket. If you go, if you send me to a soccer game, I'm a fag there, hard. <laughs> you just like <laughs> shove soccer game. balls up your asshole. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> I like fagging. Right. <laughs> so, um, at many schools, fag masters were expected to reward their fags for their efforts With at the jobs. end of term by giving them a monetary fag tip. Oh, just the tip, just the fag <laughs> just tip. tip, just the fag tip. Fag tip. <laughs> Really quickly, I'm almost done. So during the 1960s and through the 1980s, just like we've been dealing with hazing in the past decade here, people were like, this is not cool. This is abuse. We are a little bit more woke about child development. We can't do this. We can't support this. Because originally it was, as I said, it was super accepted by British society because it was like the headmasters and teachers were like, hey, this puts more structure and discipline into our schools because we have our older students you know, disciplining Being and controlling masters. the younger students. Yeah, we have our fag masters. We have our fag masters. Yeah, we We're have good. fag masters. Everything is okay. <laughs> Everything's fine. Relax. We have the fag masters. R- relax. There's fag. Free. It's fag master, please. <laughs> um, Bye, Simone. Yeah, but but in the 19s and 16s, they like super tried to do away with this, and officially, it, nowadays, the, uh, fagging is completely eradicated from school systems. But that's officially, at least. So, you know, there's no way to probably con- totally control that. I'm Someone's sure, still a fag master to this Yeah, day. I'm sure. And it, and it technically sort of can't be fagging anymore if it isn't officially supported by the school. Yeah. But I'm sure there's still some level of it or hazing that is that, that happens. Um, so notable men who are victims of and engaged in fagging are Stephen Fry. He's a he's a pretty famous actor. Mm. Um, he's even in V for Vendetta. I th- I'm pretty sure. I might be totally wrong, but I think he's the same Stephen actor. Stephen Fry reminds me. That, that's a very... Yeah, he's, he's I, gay I in IRL. That. Right. And he is an actor. He's a comedic British actor. I'm pretty sure he's he's the gay guy in V for Vendetta when Natalie Portman shows up and there's like oh. pictures of naked men wrestling yeah, yeah, yeah. in his secret room. Yeah. 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 Um, so Stephen Fry and then Aleister Crowley, who we're going to do a whole fucking episode on. And then C.S. Lewis even oh. participated in this. So, yeah. Okay. So many of y'all were probably waiting for me in the like you know, one or two main origins of faggot to talk about how faggot is a bundle of sticks and sometimes is referred to as specifically a bundle of sticks used for burning and that they would burn heretics. And most of those heretics sometimes were homosexual men. Mm -hmm. And so you can make that correlation that that is where faggot came from. Most academics say that that is not the main correlation, that that is not a substantial emergence of that slang term in the 20th century. And so, like, you could probably still say that it has some merit, but most ac- academics don't agree that it but does. But it's not, like, the main yeah, it's OG not, yeah. origin. It's it like... just basically remains a house, a housewife's tale. Oh, okay, A yeah. wife's tale, sorry. A wife's yeah. tale. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. Specifically a housewife's <laughs> tale. Yeah, it just remains a wife's tale to a point, and it just doesn't have, like, it. it there's unsubstantiated evidence of it. So, yeah. Mm. Hey, Mona Bones. She was like, hello, tall one. But yeah, that's part one. I of like the it. Etymology of fact of fact. I like it. Okay, so let's get into my spooky scoop. Yeah. So today's going to be a really fun one. So I'm done with human trafficking. If you want to learn more about human trafficking, go to our last like five episodes. Simone might stand on Corey's laptop. Well, cute. Okay, she did no, it. She Good job it. resisting she chose temptation. The better way. Simone. 
<laughs> or like Toulouse would be like, Corey, <laughs> right now. Um, so I am going through. So my spooky scoop's actually a two-parter as well. Yes. Because I am talking about today um, famous last meals of people. So when they get sentenced to death, the death penalty, they get to pick out their last meal. So I'm talking about that. But next week I'm going to go through the death penalty, what it is, what it means, Ooh. what states still have the death penalty, where it started, etc. Um, so we're going to go through some famous last meals right now. Yes, so just I la- love these. I, they're so fun. They're really fun. They're so fun. So I have a bunch of them written down, but they're all really fun. I'm going to move my laptop forward first. Do it. Okay. So first we're going to start with the daddy himself. Ted, Ted, motherfucking, motherfucking Bunny, Bundy. Yeah. Ted, insert middle name here. Theodore, insert middle name it's here. Theodore, Bundy. Richard, Robert, Robert. I yeah. knew it was the same type of name. And originally, he was known as Theodore, Theodore Robert Cowell. Yeah, it was like Cowley or something. Yeah, yeah. You could. It's C O W E L L. So however you want to pronounce that. So famous last meal. So Ted Bundy. So Ted Bundy, he declined a special meal. So he was given the traditional serving of steak, medium rare, eggs, hash browns, toast with butter and jelly, milk and juice. Interesting. So he didn't want anything. Um, Next is kidnapper and killer Victor Fegwer. Fagir. Fagwer. Fagwer. Fagmaster. Fagmaster. Um, He just wanted a single olive with the pit in it. Weird, right? Really? Isn't that weird? That is it's a little the weird. most anti-me ever because that is the only food that most people like that I don't like. Olives. Like, of course, I won't eat sardines or whatever, but yeah. a lot of people don't like sardines. But olives are dope. But I don't like olives. And yeah, and that for, to be his last meal, a single olive. Not like a bowl of olives, but he one a olive, single olive with a pit. He just wants to be talked about, and he is. So yeah, congratulations. Because here we are talking Vic- about Victor, Victor Fagmaster. Fagmaster. He's like, fuck, <laughs> right now. He's like, God He's like the it. most fucking homophobic piece of shit ever. <laughs> He's like, fuck. <laughs> hey, Fagmaster. Say, Fagmaster. We're all going to be haunted by Victor Fagmaster. Fuck you, Fagmaster. But I won't be scared because I'll be like, Fagmaster. Fagmaster, Fagmaster. <laughs> we just bully the serial killer ghost. We'll haunt him. Yeah, right. <laughs> Next one is serial killer John Wayne Garcy. Gacy. I always say Garcy and you don't know why. Gacy. John Wayne Gacy, for the love of God. Who's I'm, that? I'm just joking. Who, he's I'm the so clown guy. Um, <laughs> literally, I'm doing him in like, I don't know, 10 or 15 episodes. Fuck yeah. But it's a guarantee. Every time I talk about him, I say either John Wayne Garcy or John Wayne Gracie. I never but say Gacy, Gacy, and I don't know why. Why can't you just say gay, Channa? I don't. I just can't say gay, Corey. I can only say bisexual. <laughs> Anyways, Damn. his last meal was 12 fried shrimp, a bucket of OG recipe KFC, yeah, bitch. French fries, and a pound of strawberries. That's it. That's how you do it. Yes. Next one is Oklahoma City bomber Timothy McVeigh. He wanted two pints of mint chocolate chip ice cream. And that Same. one made me sad. Yeah. It was just like, oh. Like, he's it's very, like, childlike. Like, yeah. I want ice cream. Not he's like, like, I just want what I loved as a child because I'm going to go die. Yeah, Corey's last meal would be chicken strips. Chicken strips. <laughs> I want homemade chicken strips with mashed potatoes and corn and country-style gravy. Ooh, That's fun. That's I want. I don't know And then my probably, like, sour punch straws. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't know. I was thinking about that all day today. Like, what would my last meal be? And then a Dr. Be? Pepper 10. <gasps> Fuck you. Because that's just fucking God's just gist nectar from the gods. Daddy. Yeah. Next one is a killer. His name's Ricky Ray Rector. He wanted steak, fried chicken, cherry Kool Aid, and pecan pie, and he <gasps> left his dessert. Um, like he only ate half of it, and apparently he told a guard that he was saving it for later. Because he didn't really like fully comprehend that he was getting oh, killed. Oh no! Is he one of those that like? Yeah, he was the one where he like would have been convicted or tried nowadays. So what happened is he killed someone, then he tried shooting himself in the brain, but he lived, and because of that he Ooh. suffered from like 
some pretty severe um, like mental disabilities from then. Uh, but he is still sentenced to death. And so like with his pecan pie, he like put half of it like under his bed to save it for later because he used to always do that, save his desserts for later. And because he didn't understand that he was going to die, like he was so disconnected from it, That's it's sad. really sad. That's sad. Yeah, it's like if I was a guard, I oh, and they when they saw like the half pecan pie left, they waited to throw it away until he was like officially gone. Oh, they were also like, "That's cute." Yeah, I'm glad they did that. I mean, I mean, he killed somebody. He's not a good guy. And but then like, did that to himself. We get that, guys. But like, it's also sad. But also, like, come on, this <laughs> is sadness what I'm on top of like, other sadness. Yeah. Um, next one is Steven Anderson. So while serving time for burglary at the Utah State Prison. Ooh. What's up? We passed by that a lot. Yeah. In the early 70s. We passed by that like every few days. Yeah. Um, Anderson murdered his inmate, assaulted another, and attacked a guard. So he was like a fucking wild one in Whoa. prison. His last meal was two grilled cheese sandwiches, cottage cheese, corn, peach pie, chocolate chip ice cream, and radishes. I love radishes. Radishes are good. I could good. eat radishes like an apple. Yeah, I love totally. Radishes. He didn't get tomato soup with his cheese. With his grilled cheese. I know. It's not Dude, you gotta, you gotta redo. So fuck Come you. back to life. <laughs> yeah, come Get back to life. fucking tomato soup. He's like, I'm back. Next one is Ronnie Lee Gardner. He's another Utah dude. Um, He killed a man during a robbery, and he also killed his lawyer. Um, He got surf and turf. What? So this one's actually really fun. Holy fuck. So he got surf and turf, so like really nice steak, really nice lobster. Um, he also got apple pie with vanilla ice cream, and mm. he requested to watch the entire Lord of the Rings trilogy, and they let him. Same. So he watched like all Lord. Same. <laughs> yeah, I wrote that down. Jordan's <laughs> next to me. I was like, "This is you." Mm-hmm. That's Jordan. <laughs> like yeah. totally. I would be like, I want to watch all Lord of the Rings, and then I want to watch like Rick and Morty episodes. And I'd be like, and make him watch Two Girls One Cup before he dies. <laughs> <laughs> no. no. <laughs> um, next one is murderer Alan Lee Davis. He polished off lobster tail, fried potatoes. Eight ounces of fried shrimp, six Ooh. ounces of fried clams, and a half loaf of garlic bread, washing it down with a, an entire liter of root beer. Damn. You might okay. as well. Go big or go home, right? Yeah, right. Next one is Teresa Lewis, a woman. She Ooh. killed her husband and his kids. Uh-huh. She wanted fried chicken, peas, apple pie, and Dr. Pepper. That's a good one. So that she's would be, close to that, me. Yeah, she's very close to you, Corey. Yeah. Next one is Peter Curtin. It's a German last name. Sure. Curtin? Curtin. A.K.A. <laughs> The Vampire of Dusseldorf. Yeah. What did um, you get, sorry? He was the Vampire of Dusseldorf Ooh, because he had a habit a cool of trying title. to drink the blood found from the wounds of his victims. Fuck yeah. He requested wiener schnitzel, fried potatoes, and a bottle of white wine for his final meal. Nice. He enjoyed it so Not much blood. that he asked Come for Come on, dude. You got to keep. I you got to keep a different side. No, fuck you. You failed. I, I wrote down like Vampire of Dusseldorf and I was yeah. like, this is going to be sick. If you're going to be a shithead and kill people and then make yourself seem like a cool ass vampire, you need to, your last meal needs to be pig's yeah, blood pussy or something bitch. like that next one so in 2011 texas shout out to Corey. Woot. um prison officials made the decision to disallow death row inmates the privilege of a final meal request because of this motherfucker what bitches he was a racist killer his name was lawrence russell brewer um he ordered this really elaborate meal so he ordered two chicken fried steaks a triple meat bacon cheeseburger fried okra a pound of barbecue three fajitas a meat lovers pizza a pint of ice cream a slab of peanut butter fudge, crushed peanuts, the list goes on, but he did not eat any of it. Yeah. So it was that's a big, great. like, fuck you. I love that. System. But because of that, since 2011, De- Texas no longer allows people to have a last meal. It's very standard. Why don't you just put, why don't you just put like a, a limit, like a yeah, 50 like a, buck limit? Yeah, I thought there already was a limit to like how much it could be worth. I, get, I don't know. 
but now well, Texas is like, sorry. I guess that's a racist the moral killer of life is one person ruins it for everybody. Yes. Oh, I'm so sorry, Simone. Um, next one is Philip Workman. He asked that a vegetarian pizza be distributed to any homeless person in Nashville. Um, mm-hmm. However, his request was denied by prison officials, um, but a lot of local groups heard about his request, and so That's they nice. bought all these pizzas and delivered to homeless Sounds shelters. Sounds like maybe he was remorseful. Yeah, like he... For what he did. Maybe. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. Sometimes it happens. Yeah. I didn't go into each of these people because I figured I might talk about oh, some of sure, them. I might sure. not. Yeah. And like, I already spent, you know, over 14 hours researching Ted Bundy. Goddamn. So yeah. I was like, I can't research this guy with a vegetarian pizza. <laughs> but maybe later. As much as I want to. As much as I want to. <laughs> my brain is tapped. Um, the next one, Odell Barnes. He was a convicted rapist and murderer. He was put to death in Texas. Shout out to Ooh. Corey again. In 2000. <laughs> We're like celebrating death. <laughs> Woohoo! Death Woo! penalty in Texas. Death penalty. Woo! Um, he asked for his final meal of, quote unquote, justice, equality, world peace. Boo. That's so, boring. <laughs> boring ass bitch. <laughs> next one. Basic ass bitch. Basic ass mother- oh, motherfucking bitch. Oh, this is actually the last one. Um, Jeremy Morris. So I'm it? sure you've heard about it. Yeah. We've yeah. already gone through like 15 somehow. Jeremy Morris. It, so they asked him if he wanted anything special for his last meal. He answered, I just want a Bible. Yeah. So the prison guards of, of the William C. Holman correctional facility thought that he wanted to pray and repent. So they're like, yeah, I'll just give him an old copy of the King James Bible. But he actually fucking ate the entire Bible. Yes. It took hours of chewing. <laughs> <and swallowing laughs> it's the most metal thing. And he has like tattoos covering his whole face. Yes, bitch. Uh, it took hours of chewing and swallowing small pieces of paper, but he ate the entire 1200 page book, including the cover of the Bible. Yes. So he's more metal than we'll you ever be. You think you're cool? You're not. You're not cool. <laughs> Now, all that being said, we're going to take a quick pee and water break, and you're going to hear from our friends at Creep It Real. Hey, I'm Ashley. And I'm Shy, and we host Creep It Real. We're a couple of babes who meticulously tell stories of true crime, the paranormal, conspiracies, things you wish were only conspiracies. Basically, just get ready to question your whole existence. We take our research very seriously, always stay focused on the story we're telling, and promise you'll learn something new every episode. So, if a podcast that is painstakingly researched and presented with a lot of passion and occasional rage is up your alley, not to mention plenty of humor when it calls for it, of course, and the occasional cry fest. Just every once in a while on that one. Find Creep It Real on iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, Podcoin. And just about anywhere else you listen to pods. Creep It Real, babies. Bye. Okay, so we're back and we are now going to get into the one, the, the only, me. Ted Bundy. AKA Ted Daddy. Ted Daddy. I'm going to start off and I'm going to start off with his childhood, of course. And then we're going to go along and then Channel will pick up. And then we will start, we will end halfway through his overall story and then we'll pick up next time with part two. Yeah. And then potentially part three. And then, yeah, even potentially part three. So um, first we're going to talk about his childhood in Theodore Robert Cowell or Cowell, however you want to say it. I said Cowley. Cowley uh, was born on November 24th, 1946 in Burlington, Vermont to Eleanor Cowell and a WW2 or World War II veteran sailor known as Jack Worthington. So Eleanor also goes by Luis because her mother was called Eleanor. And um, his mother also told him that the guy, his dad, was Jack Worthington. But it is still to this day uncertain if that is factual or not. Mm, okay. We don't know. Hmm. Um, so for several years of his life, Ted, uh, Ted thought his grandparents were his parents. And his mother was his sister. 
Um, that is one thing that for a long time I thought was made up, but it, that's real. Like oh, he really yeah. thought and learned later in life that his mother was his mother. That fuck you up. Not his fucking sister. Yeah, that would fuck you up. So it is believed that they did this as in the 1950s, illegitimate children were often teased and treated as outcasts so as to avoid like, you know, suffering for Ted um, or, you know, Bundy. Um, his mother or his grandparents decided that that's what it would be. So his his grandfather Samuel and his grandmother Eleanor uh, Cowell or whatever took on the role as being Ted's parents. So while Bundy regards this time of his life, he was only this was like for four years. So it was like one to age one to age four. Basically, he regards his grandfather as a good guy, but that is not the case. So his memory of his grandfather is positive. Yeah. But there's also speculation to that because... Or he's lying because yeah, he was or, known to lie. Exactly. Yeah, because his his family and friends of the cowls, many of them like report that um, Samuel was violent towards... Or he was first negatively outspoken against minorities. He was violent oh, towards animals, abusive to his family, and an alcoholic. And would even regard or regularly have conversations with beings that were not there. Ooh. Like, this is a regular thing that happened. Ewey. Like, multiple articles and the book I read say it regularly would talk to beings that weren't there. Ewey. <laughs> yeah. So, on top of it all, Mr. Cowell had a large collection of pornography um, that also reached, like, into abusive or, like, crazy BDSM uh, no pornography. Consent. Yeah, which Ted Bundy reports finding and looking at at his young age. Rut row. Rut row. <laughs> so in 1951, Louise and Ted moved to Tacoma, Washington, to live with Louise's cousins. There, she quickly met and married Johnny uh, Culpepper Bundy. His middle name's Culpepper. That's so cool. <laughs> I, I love Culpepper. I want to switch my name to Culpepper. Right? Okay. I think Culpepper's a fun name. So Johnny uh, Johnny Bundy uh, was an ex-military cook who was working at a hospital or as a hospital cook at the time. They moved into their house Bundy would uh, live in until he went to college, which is the one on Skyline Drive in western Tacoma. Um, They soon had four more children, making the house cramped and money scarce. For Bundy, this meant less attention. Um, And unlike most children, Bundy uh, leaned towards this isolation as he thrived in it. So there's one thing that most people note is as a young child, he didn't care for attention. He would would actually avoid it. Which is so interesting because as an adult, it's like the opposite. Yeah, exa- yeah, yeah, yeah. You like, yeah, you, we all are like, yeah, I want my alone time now. But yeah. as a kid, you're like, attention, 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 yeah, yeah. money, 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 yeah, money, 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 money. You're like, mom, my mom, my mom, my mom, my mom. Basically. It's like my favorite memes where it's like when you walk into your mom's room at 2 a.m. to tell her you threw up and it's like the kitten with like milk over its mouth. <laughs> that was literally me. Did I tell you? I would tell you that happened to me before. No. Like literally. So we got a virus as a family. And I literally woke up throwing up Ew. on my bed. Like I woke up and my body, like, you know, my subconscious body had already propped myself up, like in, in like a downward dog oh position. God. And I was just throwing up Ew. onto my mattress. You're, fuck me. <laughs> yeah. This is R-rated podcast. It was podcast, disgusting. <laughs> now, even though most serial killers are thought to have hor- horrific upbringings or have like a traumatic, you know, event or aspect of their childhood, and many do... Bundy's mother and stepfather were reportedly good parents, as both he and others have reported this. Mm. Um, they were involved in, like, familial and community activities. They would do Boy Scouts. They would do, like, you know, service activities for the community. They attend church, attended church regularly, etc. They were, like, pretty normal. It was a super normal American family. Yeah, yeah. No, no big problems. Nobody was a crazy alcoholic or crazy abusive. Yeah. Like, that. Ted Bundy says that himself and also family and friends say that. It was super standard childhood, like we all had. Yeah. Well, most of it. So um, now I'm going to go and uh, 
say that one of my references for like my you know research was the documentary that is on Netflix that came out a month ago. I think it's called like the Ted Bundy tapes, yeah. my conversations with the serial killer, something like that. So Ted Bundy recalls back to his childhood, sort of in his perspective, that he was just like a, you know, awesome child who hung out with kids all the time and was like, you know, a champion frog catcher, it says in the documentary, um, and that he was just super involved when that was actually a lie. Mm-hmm. He is known by uh, kids or like, you know, people who have done um, interviews later on that he was strange. He didn't fit in. And he also had like a hard speech impediment when he was little. Oh, yeah, that sort of isolated that. him from other kids. Even like a good account from a family member is that his aunt, when he was living with them, you know, before he moved in with and got the name Bundy, um, his aunt woke up in the middle of the night as a six-year-old Bundy was placing knives <gasps> under her covered and around her body. When she asked what he was doing, Bunny just blankly stared at her and then went back to bed. <laughs> Ew! I'm like, I'm taking that. <laughs> That's an account that. from the book I read. Also, uh, this is just one account of family members noting that multiple times Bundy would just enter a sort of trance and, quote, Uh-oh. suddenly morph into this other very strange being. One moment he would be fine. The next, he would become somebody else. Ooh, they'll Jekyll and Hyde. Yeah, Ted had some, had episodes where he would seem to turn into another unrecognizable person. Um, this this funnily reminds me of my. I've told you this before. I think my my dad, like after I came out, or actually when I was like in my teens, told me that when I was little, if we were if my dad was just standing around and talking to other men, yeah, and I would be bored, I would randomly zone out and then stare at their dick and go up and try to poke it. I'm not even You've joking. You've never told me this before. Oh, I have it. No. This is a literal thing that I would do. So, like, literally, I'd be like six years old, and I'd be standing around. That's hilarious. And then my dad would notice that I would like zone in on the guy's dick and go up and try and poke you, fag master. <laughs> like a fucking, I'm a fucking serial killer fag master. Yeah, Corey might be a serial killer. I'm a killer dick serial killer. Ayo, you <laughs> murder that dick. Murder that dick. <laughs> so yeah, that reminded me of that. So basically, I'm Ted Bundy, but in the most faggot way you can think of. Without the murder without the murder of people he just murders that dick <laughs> I just sucked it <laughs> in the good way <laughs> another uh, like one of my favorite examples besides that of like a childhood friend is in the netflix documentary there's a girl named sandy holt and she tar- starts to talk about how he has the speech impediment how he was weird and like in like the summer camp or the boy scout camp he just like couldn't fit in and do the correct things that like your tie knots and shit like that yeah. what what <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's sad. I know it's. It does sound sad. It, it does sounds sound sad. sad. Just a little Ted Bundy trying to fit in, but he can't fit in. <laughs> um, but it says that she. She says that he liked to build tiger traps, like in the woods. And even like one oh, time, good. one girl at the camp like fell in and like it scraped a gash up her leg and like totally just fucked up her leg a little bit. Um, He's like, oh yeah. On top of all of this, just like growing up in like you know as a little as a child and then into middle school. Um, on top of all of that, Bundy was also caught multiple times masturbating Ruh-roh. in the school broom closet. Um, it became so frequent that the boys at the school would realize that he left to go mas- masturbate, and they would go out of class, and they would get buckets of cold water, <gasps> open the closet door, and then splash it on him and laugh. No. Isn't that so sad? Oh, 
like, <laughs> that's like the saddest shit I've ever heard. I mean, it's disgusting, but like a lot of boys just do it because they don't know how to control it. They're just little and they have a dick and they're like, what do I do? <laughs> that's so sad that those good. little bullies. If I was like the mother of one of those bullies, I'd be like, you're fucking grounded. Right? Forever. I know. Like, I mean, yeah, one, that kid's messed up, but like you're messed up doing that to him. Right. Like, stop. Now this next part is titled Daddy Issues. Classic. <laughs> Oh, just classic daddy issues, yeah. So sometime while Bundy was in junior high school, he discovered his illegitimate birth and that John Bundy was not his real father. So there are two commonly known scenarios of how Bundy came to know this. So the first one is that Bundy finds this information through a cousin also named John. Okay. Um, and the cousin named John is like, you don't have a dad. You know, Johnny's not your dad. Johnny's not your real dad. And he's like, no, he, you know, he is. Fuck you. Prove it. And so John's like, okay. And goes mm-hmm. into a room or like the closet, closet or attic or whoever, finds this birth certificate and shows him that it says unknown where his Ooh. father's name should be written. Damn. Yeah. Um, and then just continues to make fun of him. Oh. Um, the second one is a little bit more credible because actually Ted Bundy is quoted talking about it. So the second one just comes from him looking through old papers in the house and he found his birth certificate and saw that it said unknown where his father's name should have been. Ted Bundy is quoted saying that at that moment he made a choice because he saw this as an opportunity to not look at the bad stuff in his life and to look at the positive stuff in his life. Mm. Uh, Like his mother, his grandparents, you know, his siblings that cared for him and to focus on that because he had a good life. Regardless of this reality, the realization, the realization of this disturbed him. Yeah. And he never got over it to a point. Um, This is taken directly from his 1976 pre-sentence investigation report. And I'm quoting uh, from the book. It says, it is of interest that the defendant displayed marked signs of hostility when asked about his early childhood, specifically when he was asked about his real father's whereabouts. His face became quite, quite contorted and reddened and he paused momentarily. He then gained composure and replied rather succinctly and said approximately, you might say that he left my mother and me and never rejoined the family. So they sort of just note how he just like immediately was, yeah, yeah, like had to hide this intense rage that came up and then just like continued very nicely. Interesting. You know how it must feel to be his biological father and like you read like Ted Bunny, Ted Bunny and like there's interviews with his mom and stuff and Uh you're like, oh my god wait how old is he you're like oh, he's my son like how crazy that would be if you're yeah. the biological father to be like fuck, yeah, fuck. <laughs> that's partially my fault <laughs> yeah like or like the, i gave birth to that or like yeah. i helped this person be created yeah i feel like oh shit you're like damn my life's fucked you look at your other kids you're like are you guys psycho <laughs> you start killing your kids you're like damn that's like all of his siblings. I'm like, did any of his siblings? Yeah, I mean, he had four siblings. I, I, I actually didn't end up marking that down, but he had four siblings, and he even is noted talking about, so it's like- He loves his brother. Two girls, yeah, it's like a girl, and then a boy, and then a girl, and then a boy, or like a girl, girl, boy, boy. Uh-huh. And the youngest boy, Richard, he like loves. Yeah. He said he loves him and like views him as his own, almost his own son. It'd be so interesting to talk to Richard today. Yeah. To be like, tell us about it. Yeah. Um, so basically all these acts that I'm talking about and his mannerisms, um, and his natural tendency towards isolation led him to be known as a quintessential loner within the school system as he comes, you know, into high school. Um, but despite this, Bundy did keep two close friends from childhood that remained his friends even throughout college. Mm. Like he, there were many times in the books where it notes they they are named, but I just didn't note it down because I just didn't think it was necessary at the point. There's so much information. So 
Uh, for high school, he attends Woodrow Whistlin High School in 1961, and during his time in school, uh, he was mostly known as a loner. Um, he was, however, pretty athletic, participating in track and football while frequently skiing on the weekends and even during the week. I would pretty much say this is like his go-to hobby. He okay. loves skiing. He just fucking loves skiing. Cool. Um, he even had like a group of skiers that he would, you know, interact with and, and hang out with a bit, but it was mostly just to ski. Yeah. And he even convinced them to like, you know, start forging tickets oh, uh, for cool. free. Yeah. To go Fun. ski. Um, and, and he sort of came up with that idea with a couple of, of those of those buddies, He's I guess so you bad. would say. Literally. Um, but again, it, the book does also stress that while it seems that he had a pretty normal uh, high school life, he would only participate and hang out with people within these activities. Mm-hmm. And then he would go home and be a loner. OK. Like maybe the only exception would be sometimes hanging out with those two friends. But it was more of him like those were his two friends that he focused on to try and be a normal person. Oh, yeah. yeah. But other than that, it was just Bundy doing Bundy shit. Yeah. And again, and this is a and like, um, I mean, I told you before we started the podcast, but like w- with reading all these different articles and these books about all the different kinds of serial killers, you will always see that picture painted of like him being a complete loner outcast weirdo while at the same time when you look at some facts it seems like he isn't he could be a normal person yeah so there's just always that weird like um dichotomy that you're like well wait you just said he was a part of track and football and like did skiing on the weekends that's more than i fucking do yeah (laughs) you know that he was putting on this whole like human but yeah they also know like he was trying to do that he did that on purpose to to, you know show himself that he could be normal yeah like that Okay, now before we get into college or his college years, we need to talk about one of Ted Bundy's possible victims. Her name is Ann Burr, and she disappeared in 1961 from her bed in Tacoma. It's really interesting. Like, literally, the family's, like, all hanging out. She's downstairs in the basement. Um, It's sort of actually, like, his first victim that he attacked. Like, she lived in a basement, etc. Bundy is 14 at this time. And why they think it is him is because in later in his life, he refers to killing somebody um, when he was 14. Oh. Um, and we all know, or most people know, if you know about Ted Bundy, is for most of his murders, especially when he first started admitting to them, he'd have to talk about them in the third person. Yeah. So I'm going to read an excerpt from the book that also like quotes an article. And in that article, they're quoting people. So it's sort of like an inception thing quote, going unquote, on. Unquote, unquote. But just follow along. It's fine. But before we get to that, I will have to say, other than what I'm about to read, Anne Burr, the Burr family, uh, lived on Ted Bundy's newspaper route when he was 14. Oh. Um, and now while Bundy officially denied his involvement in her disappearance up until the day he died, we do have the, this account and stuff that I'm about to read. And this, again, is from uh, The Bundy Murders, A Comprehensive History by Kevin M. Sullivan. And we'll put like... You know, we'll cite him in like the podcast summary and stuff like that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. We're going to start doing that. We're going to start citing our sources. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Shit. (laughs) Because goddamn. (laughs) So Theodore Robert Bundy, who had been on death row in Florida since the late 1970s, had by this time made numerous references to murders he had committed, but only in the third person. Following the same pattern in an interview with Dr. Ronald Holmes, he made statements indicating he was, in fact, responsible for Anne-Marie Burr's disappearance. The following is taken directly from the May 1987 article. So now I'm reading the cited article in the book. It says, Bundy talked of a person involved in a series of murders in Washington near Lake Sammamish State Park. 
I then asked him if it would be reasonable to assume that this other person may have had earlier victims, Holmes said. He said, well, this other person we're talking about may have started much earlier. That's Bundy saying that. Mm. So that is the quote. And then this is the narrator of the book. So we're going back to the book. So it says, after making the obvious connection between himself and the killer of Anne-Marie Burr, Bundy points that perhaps this person's first murder may have involved a female as young as eight or nine. So he literally says that just after making that quote that I read about the connection between the Sammamish murder guy and the the murder of Amber. So we know that he has before and multiple times referred to him doing murders in the third person. And then the guy's like, Holmes is like, so who do you think that kind of guy could be? And then, you know, Bundy says, well, he probably did murders before and probably murdered a girl eight or nine. And you're like, why are you that specific? And it's probably because he killed Amber. He killed, oh man. At age motherfucking 14. 14 yeah that's uh-uh. like crazy no yeah it's it's fucking you barely understand death really at 14 right? like at it, 14 cause you're ew. yeah it's you're, so fucking weird oh that's that's crazy yeah so anyways how's your sex <laughs> <laughs> um in 1965 bundy graduates from the, his high school and then he enrolls in the university of puget sound and then transfers to the university of washington the next fall in 1966 this is where uh, he initially wants to study Asian history and language studies, which I had no idea. Yeah. Um, he was hoping to work for the State Department and work in trade on main, mainland China. But this quickly changed to a couple other things where he eventually landed in the bachelor's in psychology that we all know when he finally graduated years later. Um, so, yeah, basically, I, I almost verbatim quoted him himself talking about that time yeah he wanted to like study chinese and Mm. asian history and he because he was really like because he could see the potential china had and he wanted to like make relations between the u.s and china better damn and so that was like his goal yeah um so at this same time when he is a freshman in college at the university of washington he began his first romantic relationship with a classmate uh, diana edwards So basically, long story short with this whole thing is over the next few years, um, they they go a little bit off and on. um, But basically, Diane Edwards is some girl from California. She's uh, like from a very rich family and expects a lot from Bundy. So for a little bit, he's keeping it up. His life is still going well. He has those weird tendencies. But then he drops out of college in 1968 and then starts going on some like personal journey that he talks about but this is when his life sort of starts come crashing down he starts getting bad grades diane realizes that he can't emotionally support her support her or that he doesn't have like lofty goals or she sort of feels that he can't make those goals while at the same time bundy is questioning himself whether or not he can do these things for Mm -hmm. her and for himself yeah and so things just start to sort of spiral out of control she breaks up with him he drops out of college in 1968 and over the next like year and a half basically goes around the country. He goes to San Francisco for a bit. He goes to Denver to ski a lot because he still loves skiing. He even goes to Philadelphia to visit his uh, extended family. And also he goes and rolls in Temple University at Philadelphia. But then he also quickly drops out of, he drops out of school there as well. So this is where we get to two other alleged murders. Cool. Can I make one point? Sure. So I've been watching like a million documentaries and read yeah. a bunch of different stuff about yeah. Bundy the past couple of days. And I know the breakup with, what was her name? Diane? 
Right. Diane Edwards, yeah. I know the breakup with her was a big to- turning point for uh-huh. him. What's interesting is it's important to note what her appearance was. She was just like a, yes, a white you. girl. She yes. had straight, long hair parted down the middle. She pretty much looked like me. Um, you know, she was brunette. She was in her early 20s, young woman. So, yeah, it's important to note that's what she looked like. But her, the breakup with her was a big turning point for Bundy. Oh, yeah. Um, when they, they sort of get back together in a sense yeah. and then 100% break it off again. And I will get I will actually quote him, quoting how his psyche crumbles. Oh, cool. Yeah, yeah. So at this time in Temple University, there is another speculated two murders that Ted Bundy made before his first official murder and also his first official attack. But this is sort of a, alleged, but it is believed by most that it was him. Law officials that Ted Bundy killed two women on Memorial Day weekend of 1969 because these two women actually did die, but it is still a cold case and it nobody knows for sure. But we're pretty damn sure it's motherfucking Bundy. Um, I forget the name of the two women. I tried to look it up for like 10 minutes, but couldn't find it. Um, I will say it next time on part two and refer back to it. Yes, um, there's also that a there's a quote from a woman who talks about her aunt at this same time saying that while she was sitting in her car, Bundy showed up and tapped on the glass. Ew. Or like a, a man who was injured and, ha- and had his arm in a sling Ew. tapped on the glass. Fuck you. So that's just like another attest- like testament to the fact that it probably was Ted Bundy. So this, the book that I was reading, the, <laughs> the, the Ted Bundy Murders, A Comprehensive History. Has a hilarious cover. Um, it has, it's the stupidest shit ass cover. That's what I said, quote unquote, world. you should judge a book by its cover. You but you shouldn't like, judge a book by its you, cover. You, goddamn, fuck that fucking cover. So stupid, y'all. It's a super, yeah, it's, it's, like, it's pretty bad. It's like a man, a black arm, like holding a syringe of blood it's really <laughs> stupid and then there's like ted bundy's like mugshot is in the corner yeah it's right. so stupid y'all it's so fucking stupid why a syringe That's i my don't question. know like, like not a crowbar not one of his like usually yeah or the used... ice pick or something yeah like or that. like handcuffs even yeah or just his hand because he strangled people why right? a syringe my god so the book though is really good though so yeah, yeah. don't judge a book by his cover <laughs> <laughs> and it sort of jumps into the his psyche during this time at Temple, as he, this is when he is cited saying that he began to act out. So I'm going to quote the book again because it's just, you know, I can't write, you know, this well. This is, it's just too good. So they're basically talking about this time in Temple, Arizona. And he says that, but at this point, Ted Bundy was still the experimenting amateur and he knew it. Even so, it cannot be ruled out that he in fact killed while on the East Coast. Some experts, like Dr. Art Norman, who interviewed Bundy shortly before he was executed, said Bundy told me in no uncertain terms his launch into murder was killing two women while living in Philadelphia. So I'm not I'm not done quoting exactly, but what's about to happen here is he's going to go back to the University of Washington, re-enroll, and then get a bachelor's in psychology, and then he's going to jump into like a you know up and up time in his life before he comes 100% crashing down. But this is a really cool, like, creepy quote about Ooh. this even seemingly up and up time in his life. I'm excited. The book says, but alas, Philadelphia marked a change in him, whether he could freely admit it to himself or not. For that driving force within, that pressure which would rise to the surface and recede after the act was completed, had wet its appetite while Ew. he was living in the East. Now the feeding of this, quote, entity, unquote, as he would later call it, became the primary focus of his life. Everything else became secondary. Everything else became the facade. 
Isn't that good? That's a fucking so, good quote. While he, so he comes back Damn. to the university. Most likely it is assumed that he's already killed these two women. So he has start, he has fed this entity. And that's, that's a and thing that, that basically Ted Bundy called his, his desire to kill that his, other uh, self within him. His, he called the entity. His Jekyll. Was yeah, his Jekyll. Entity. Yeah, definitely. Or his, his hide his his to hide. his Dr. Jekyll. Yeah. yeah. So, yeah, he comes back to Washington in 1969 in the fall and he reenlists in in, you know, in school. And that's where he later in 1972 graduates with a bachelor's in psychology. Now, at this time, this is where he meets his on again, off again girlfriend, Elizabeth Klopfer, we're saying. Yeah, she is going God to be in the dang. Ted Bundy movie. She's like the focus. Yeah. Zac Efron, Ted so Bundy we have decided because, you know, we can't sit here and do an eight hour long podcast. We're decided that this will be one of our first case files that we yes. will do for Patreon. Because she deserves like their relationship deserves like a 40 minute to an hour and a half episode in itself. So it will be a case file, their entire relationship. Oh, yeah. Because it, y'all, it's fucking crazy. It she spans is, like six years. So. Yeah. And she is very like she is essential to this case and understanding to Bundy. She even like when uh multiple or twice, two times there are accounts of what Ted Bundy looks like and drawings of him. And she literally once sees it on the TV and then calls in and says, that's my, I think that's my boyfriend. So, yeah. So every time we mention her, like she's a very important person of interest, like in this topic, in the Ted Bundy case. Um, so anytime we mention her, that's who we're talking about, like his girlfriend. But she will be her own case file. Yeah, like as much so as we much. mention her, she's twice as important yeah, than what we mentioned her. Totally. Yeah. So um, also at this same time, the same little uh, three-year time span between him getting back from Philadelphia and uh, earning his BA in psychology, he began working at Seattle Suicide Hotline in 1971. And it was working there that he met Anne Rule, who later would go on to write the biog- the Bundy biography, The Stranger Beside Me. Again, case file. <laughs> Again. Because I have that book and it's, you know, it's a really, it's a great book. It's a long book. It's a good book. But that in itself, we'll do an entire case that would file be an just based off of that book. In and of itself. Yeah. yeah. Also during this time, he starts and also right when he joins law school, he gets involved in, like politically involved in the area. You need to just basically go watch the documentary on Netflix. You could even just watch the first episode and it sums up all of his political involvement. He basically serves on the team to get Dan Edwards reelected as governor of Washington. And basically you just need to go watch it because the theme of that whole, that whole, this whole time in his life is just showing just how much Ted Bundy is the all American good guy that just, you know, is very personable, very articulate. People loved him. He made it look like he loved them. He got into high class society. He got that taste of it and he wanted it and he was good at it and he knew he was good at it even if if he was faking it all. Yeah, he was like the master manipulator and it kind of taught him like what he was capable of doing. Yeah, it showed him his strength in that. Yeah, like, like oh my God, I'm great at manipulating. I'm great at doing this. And then it also just shows like the influence he has on others because they all thought he was like the a greatest good thing. greatest thing. Yeah. Like the greatest upcoming dude. Yeah. Yeah. Like, Oh, Ted Bunny is going to be the next fucking president. Like they like loved him. No. So yeah. And so uh, following that note, he graduates in 1972 and took the LSATs, but he got mediocre scores at best. And so he was only able to go to the university of Puget sound. And I think it's even noted that it's a night school. Mm. Uh, which is, I guess, less prestigious. So I'm going to quote Ted Bundy at this time. So 
he just came off of that high, that political high. He then goes to gets into this really bad school compared to himself. And at the same time, this is where um, during that three years time period, the original girl, Diane Edwards, she gets back with him because of this, you know, new political involvement. She's like, ooh, hey, what's up? Yeah. And so he's on top of the world for this, like, you know, two to three year span. And then it all comes crashing down. He gets these bad LSAT scores. He goes to a shitty school. He starts to do bad at it. And then everything just at the end of um, 19, I think 1973, hit, uh, she 100% breaks it off with him. So he he notes, I felt like I'd failed, not only myself, but even my teachers and instructors at the university. I was just absolutely out of control of my life. I didn't know what I was going to do. Didn't even know where I was going to live. Didn't even know how I was going to support myself. He then continues to say, I think I was coming apart at the seams. And maybe she saw it. He's referring to Diane. And I had this overwhelming feeling of rejection that stemmed not just from her, but everything. The tail end of that summer is really a blank. I mean, it was a nightmare for me. In there somewhere was a desire to have some sort of revenge on Diane. So that is in 1973, or I think four. I can't remember off the top of my head. But 1974 are where all the murders start. But 19, uh, so I think it might be 1973 where she breaks up with him. Damn. And important (laughs) to note, Diane again she was white. She had brunette, long mm-hmm. hair, the part down the middle, mm-hmm. young 20s. And uh, if you look at all the pictures of all his victims, they all they resemble that. Diane. I think the first person he attacks and then the first two deaths are literally that exact same description. Yeah. Well, one where I was going through it, I was like, I'm that description. Like, You're Ted like, Bundy oh would fucking kill me. <laughs> like, if I was walking down the street. But I've watched so many murder shows. If someone's like, help me, I'm like, fuck you i'm like you're yeah, on your fuck own you, bitch die yeah <laughs> but uh if this was the 70s i didn't watch any murder shows and ted bunny rolled up to me because i'm the exact victim he would choose and it's freaky and uh-huh. i'm in utah too fuck. but he's so hot so you're like okay i'm like okay zach efron you're let's like, do it's it cool, zach efron you can damn me. <laughs> so um also during this time while he was at the university of puget sound the law school um he began to work for the seattle crime commission and this is in 1973 mostly when he was working there during his time there, he studied a lot of crime statistics and cases, realizing that many police departments were not sharing information across jurisdic- jurisdiction lines. This would become key into his methods and uh, where he killed and how he managed to kill so many and stay under the police's radar. Um, so now let's get into the juicy shit, y'all. Here are his first murders. From the span of January to July 1974, Ted Bundy is believed to have killed eight women in Washington. So on January 1974 is his first known attack. He broke into the apartment of Karen Sparks, uh, a senior at the University of Washington, and while she slept and beat her over the head before sexually assaulting her by ramming a stainless steel medical device known as a speculum into her vagina. Though she was in a coma... Though she was in a coma for 10 days following the attack, she survived, but has lived ever since with permanent disabilities. So basically they say that like she lived with three other dudes and they were like all watching TV the night before she goes to bed at like 2 a.m. And then one of the one of the dudes says they walked by her bed or her room at like 2 p.m. the next day. And was like, cool, I guess she's just sleeping in today. You know, it's college. That Damn. happens. Yeah. And then by 7 p.m., it took them till 7 p.m. to, like, see that she was still in the bed and be like, 
wait what and then they go over and realize that there's blood everywhere her her head was like bashed in like just bashed in Um, i think he uses like something that was holding up a bed like a metal bed post or something like that um at at this particular time it might be his 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 ice pick that he used sometimes i forget but yeah it just leaves her in a coma for 10 days and she still like lives with permanent disability the craziest part is he committed that those horrible acts while other people were in the house yeah they're sound asleep so it was like silent and stealthy enough that he didn't alarm anybody i mean that means like it must have been like a one hit to her head to knock her out because otherwise she would have started screaming so like the amount of force that would be required to do that it's like it's crazy to me it's scary and then just the need like the needless just ramming of that device into, into her. her vagina and it's like it like they found it that they found her with that in her Ugh. like fuck that like fuck that he's he's Ted yeah like as much guy. as we say about Ted Buddy, like fuck him he's yeah, a fucking he's monster a psychopath he's a the monster. next is the first known murder um this happens later in february sometimes people say march you know there's all these discrepancies every there's discrepancies everywhere um so he broke into the apartment of lynn and healy a senior at the university of washington as well beat her and then abducted her um her remains later were found at the taylor mountain site where bundy left multiple victims i think like two other other girls were found there with her so basically it's almost the same story most of her friends were hanging out with linda that night they even like went out for drinks and then around like nine had to go home because one of their friends needed to catch a bus at 940 like the 941 bus i think that's what it says Mm. they then start the rest of the friends like watch tv and then she goes to bed. But the whole crazy thing of what you just said about how he does this with people in the house, she shared a basement room with one of her classmates that literally had one piece of plywood separating their beds. What the like fuck? they were in the same motherfucking room. That's crazy. It just hap- so happened that Linda's bed was the one near the window. Oh and so she's God. the one that gets fucked. Oh, my God. Yeah. Could you so, imagine, like, we have so many nights, okay, like, tonight after the podcast, like, we're like, yay, it's oh, done, yeah. and I go and to I bed. And I crash on the couch. Yeah, and, like, I wake up the next morning, and you're just fucking gone, and I, you're, like, abducted yeah, You and don't killed. see me for, like, four days, and then you find my dead body in a cave. Yeah, like. I'm like, what the fuck? That's just so fucking crazy. That'd be so crazy. It uh, haunts me. It just yeah. terrifies so, me. So, again, y'all, I am I am brushing over these, and then, even, like, I will brush over the next six murders because this is going to be another case file. Like we could talk about this for the next 50 minutes, but yeah. we can't, we're not sorry. It's just too much. Unless you want to listen to us for four hours per each episode. Yeah. Right. Like channel will go into her murders today. Cause and that's what I, I will do go best. into the murders that I will go over in part two in detail. But these ones, it's just like too much to just continuously go over gruesome murder after gruesome murder after gruesome murder. But don't worry. I will be explaining. But don't like worry. Eight you'll gruesome get murders. it. <laughs> Yeah, so even just like last thing about Linda, it's super sad because in the morning they like she was she was like a senior. She had, she was like a really just like straight A star student. Like she was going to do shit with her life. She was into like what she was doing and she even like was supposed to she would do like the ski reports in the morning at some uh I forget what it's called, but she would just go on on the radio and just like report the ski, you know, how weather was going to be that day and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And she didn't show up. And so her friend even like heard her alarm that went off at 5.30 a.m. And was like, okay, cool. Linda's just getting up for for her work. And then she hears it at 6. And then she goes to turn it off. And then she realized that she was gone. And then like the people call in at 6.30 and they're like, where is Linda? 
And then it's just up for the next like 12 hours. Everyone's like, like chaos. where the fuck is Linda? They get the police, but the police are like, she's a college student. She just ran away. They, she or just ran away she's or just did something house. weird. Yeah. But the whole thing is, is that night her boyfriend and her parents were going to have dinner with her at the house. No, yeah, that's so, sad. So her dad or her mother even calls saying like, hey, we've been trying to get a hold of Linda. Where is she? And then like her dad and brother come oh. or her dad and her boyfriend come and like to the house and they're like hey what's going on and they're like linda is gone oh and then it just starts that whole search and then they finally find her it's really sad y'all and there's so much more detail of like what happened to her and then all these other murders but again case files motherfucker patreon (laughs) throughout the rest of 1974 ted would go on to commit at least seven more murders throughout washington and it would even and then we'll get into like you know utah and colorado when it comes but let me go through the other six murders. So March 1974 is Donna Manson. April 1974 is Susan Rancourt. May 1974 is Roberta Parks. June 1974 is Brenda Ball. June 1974 is Georgianne Hawkins. That is one of the most famous ones. Yeah. From his case. And then I these are these are my favorite. These are my favorite. <laughs> my favorite are, murder. These are yeah. This is my favorite murder. Shout out to you. <laughs> the biggest. True crime um, podcast that exists is on July 14th. So th- close, to my birthday. I think it's July 14th. It might be 12th. Oh my god, I'm sorry. I'm pretty sure it's July 14th um, of 1974 at Lake Sammamish. Janice Ott and Denise Nasland. Um, y'all, that like we could do a whole podcast just off of that whole day and all the sightings of Ted Bundy. Ted Bundy even uses his name. It's but, probably one of the most. It's probably the most important case for Washington. Yeah, it's exactly. And it's one of the be- the most important like backtracks of like holy fuck. It's this guy. It's Ted Bundy. Yeah, but they um, can't really. Yeah, along with uh, Elizabeth's, um, what's her name? It's Elizabeth Clover. Yeah, along with her her stuff. But yeah, y'all, literally just picture this. You were at the beach with one of your friends. And then when you watch as this weird dude. Like hundreds of people are around you. Yeah, hundreds it's of people are around you. the busiest day at the beach. It is Washington. The sun has come out finally. You know, the sun's only out like one third of the days of the year. Um, you're all, everyone's at the beach. You're all having fun, getting in the frigid water, but it's, you know, it's 80 degrees. So it's hot. You and your boyfriend are like playing at the beach yeah. and you're just splashing each other in the water. You're and drinking. You look over. You're having yeah, fun. You're drinking a little bit. You look over and see your friend, you know, Janice or Denise, and she's just sitting there. You wave at her and then you turn away and then, or, and then you just see this like weird guy in the background walking up. But you're handsome like, cool. guy though. What? Very handsome guy. A handsome guy. Yeah. I guess a handsome guy with a uh, with his arm in a sling yeah but you don't think anything of it you know you just turn back to your boyfriend you start splashing him and then you turn around and your friend's gone and then she never comes back and then a week later her body is found raped and with another girl's body in a cave like this that is literally this ted bundy walked up to multiple girls that day in broad daylight and asked them to go help him with his car or to help him bring his boat to his house something like that yeah and he got two of them and tricked two of them and they're dead. The crazy part about this case is there are, you know, 20, 50, 75 witnesses to it. Uh-huh. And so suddenly the police department had all these witnesses and they had this name and they had the sketch of him. But Ted Bundy, according to the majority of these people, he was blonde. Yep. Like the sketch they gave him wasn't necessarily Ted Bundy's appearance. They knew it was a Ted and they all saw his brown Volkswagen. Yeah, beetle. it was always brown or tan and yeah. not yellow. Yeah. Yeah. Again, he he does these eight murders um, in the span of like a few or like a year or something like that. And 
or no, yeah, not even a year. A couple months. Yeah, a couple months actually. Uh, what is it? Seven months, eight months, and then he finally decides to go to Utah because remember how we said earlier on he he worked at the Seattle Crime Commission. And he got that idea and he realized that police departments didn't share information across jurisdiction lines. Well, he began to applying, applying to different law schools. And that is what made him apply to the uh, law school at Utah University. And so in August 1974, it's my segment, y'all. What's bit, up? Bit. Um, Bundy was accepted into <laughs> the university. Yes, this is a segue. He was accepted into the University of Utah's law school, and he moved to Salt Lake City. Um, he left Klopfer in Seattle, Elizabeth, his girlfriend, his partner. Now, while he called Klopfer pretty much every single day, he dated at least a dozen other women. Um, and when he studied the first year of law curriculum a second time, he was, in quotes, devastated to find out that the other students had something, some intellectual capacity that he did not. He found the classes completely incomprehensible. It was a great disappointment to me, he said. Whoa. So he moved to Salt Lake, and suddenly, boom, he's realizing, I am a fucking failure still. Like, I'm still not getting this. It's just adding to his his constant mental break of not being good well, enough. Well, yeah, just having these lofty dreams and then realizing that he can't live up to them. Yeah. yeah. And um, to continue what Corey said. AKA he, adulthood. He chose Utah because it was far away from Washington and he was pretty much anonymous and unknown in Utah. He didn't know anybody. Um, now, when Ted Bundy, he moved to Utah, he wanted to blend in. So naturally, he joined the LDS Church, a.k.a. the Mormons, a.k.a. the Church of Jesus Christ Latter-day Saints, a.k.a. the cult. church Corey and I used to be a part of, a.k.a. a cult. cult. He joined it because naturally that's what Utah is. It's full of fucking Mormons. Full of Mormons. So he befriended Michael Priest, who is a branch president, it's like a stake president, what's up, um, and two missionaries from Michael Priest's like, main home ward knocked on Bundy's door Whoa, when he first moved to Salt those Lake. Missionaries. Yeah, they're like, hello, my name is Elder Price, Elder and Price. I would like to speak with you, you serial killer. <laughs> so he moved, so they knocked on Bundy's door, and he invited them in, and he was really interested in the church. And he was like, yeah, this sounds fucking great. It's a sense of community. It's uh -huh. a sense of normalcy. And he's like, oh, this is what everyone in Utah is doing. I better get on board with this. So he was baptized shortly after, and he was an active member of the church. Um, he did this to look like a normal college student in Utah. He wanted to give off the all-American, boyish, law-abiding, mm -hmm. good good guy, classic Utah citizen. Like, he was a little Mormon boy. Like, it, he's just like everybody else. And he was very active in the church. He taught lessons. He had callings. He was actively part of the community, whether it's going to their events, becoming friends with the people, having dinners. He was an active, like, the gold star the prime example of what it is to be a mormon boy in his young 20s yeah. to be a convert too and being a convert is like especially like oh good for you you left the life of sin to join the the rightful path the mormon church yeah so he was he was loved by everybody all the church members worshiped the ground he walked on which will come into play later now a new string of homicides began shortly after he moved to Salt Lake City, including two that would remain undiscovered until Bundy confessed to them right before he's executed. Now, the first one we're, we're going to talk about is an unidentified Idaho hitchhiker. We still don't know who she is to this day. Aww. On September 2nd, Bundy picked up a young woman who was hitchhiking. He drove and chatted with her for about three hours, and then he pulled over, hit the girl with a crowbar, and then violently raped her while strangling her, which Corey mentioned earlier, that was kind of his thing, is he would be raping while choking them out and killing them. Yeah, uh, can I also mention, that's a really good point that the author of my of my book makes. Um, I think his name is Mar 
Mark Michael something. Sorry, Michael dude. Myers. Love you, Michael Myers. <laughs> <laughs> Is it? It's Kevin Soul. <laughs> <laughs> That is so wrong. Michael and Kevin. <laughs> Kevin, change it into Michael Myers. It's way more fun. It's way more fun. <laughs> Fuck you. So he basically in like, the, I think his foreword or something like that starts to mention the importance of how sometimes or a lot of times, especially I do this when accounting this stuff. I'm like, you know, it was sometime in February, February 8th or February 10th. Who gives a shit? For a while, people didn't compare him to that, that murder that you just talked about because um, what's her name? Girl. Her, her, the, the girlfriend, Elizabeth. The Clover. girlfriend says that he left on like the third, and then most other people account that he like came to the place on or, or like he left on the fourth. So for the longest time, they didn't they didn't think that he really did that murder. But then they found actual uh, phone recordings of or, him like, talking to Elizabeth on the way there uh-huh, on the second, and yeah. they were like, "Holy shit! He that's the girl he murdered. Or, like he murdered that girl that went missing or yeah. something like that." And yeah. fun fact, um, this kind of. I wasn't going to mention this, but this reminds me. Yeah, of it. sure. Um, so the first day he was traveling from Washington to uh, Utah, uh-huh. he actually picked up another hitchhiker and he like drove her to like the hotel and they got like super drunk. And the entire time he was conflicted, like, should I kill her? Should I not kill her? What should I do? And they engaged oh in like God. consensual sex. Uh-huh. Like they both agreed to it. They had sex and uh, he ended up not killing her. And then the next day he picked up those rando hitchhiker they drove for three hours, talked uh, to each other. He pulled her over, knocked out their crowbar, started raping her, strangled her, um, which ended up killing her. And then after he was dead, he continuously raped her. Mm. Um, and then he ended up throwing her body into a nearby river, and he burned her clothes and her ID. So because of that, and because of many factors with like Jane Doe's, she was never identified. Damn. Now, the next one we're going to talk to, she was Nancy Wilcox. She was 16 years old. This is on October 2nd, so about... Exactly a month later, um, he abducted her in Holiday. This is a <laughs> suburb of Salt Lake City. Um, he dragged her into a wooded area, raped her, and then strangled her to death, doing classic Ted Bundy, and then, you know, continuously raped her dead body. Um, now, her remains are buried near Capitol Reef National Park, which is about 200 miles away from Holiday. So he took Whoa. her full 200 miles away. So he's trying to, no one's ever going to find Nancy Wilcox in Capitol Reef. Anyone who finds her in Capitol Reef is not going to put two and two together. It's Nancy Wilcox. I mean, eventually they did, obviously. We know she was, where she was buried. But a lot of these names came from his confessions. The next one we're going to talk about, this happened about two weeks later. Melissa Ann Smith, she was 17 years old. She was the daughter of the local police chief of, Mid- of Midvale. Again, another Salt Lake suburb. Corey knows Mm -hmm. what I'm talking about. It's basically Salt Lake, y'all. It's basically Salt Lake. She disappeared after leaving a pizza parlor. Her nude body was found in nearby mountains area around nine days later. And a postmortem exam indicated that she might have remained alive for up to about seven days following her disappearance. That's Uh, like that little girl last week. The, that poor Doesn't hair stack girl. of bodies yeah oh, fuck that um the next one i'm going to talk about is laura and amy she was 17 so again this is about two weeks after melissa's murder laura disappeared in lehigh which is about 25 miles south of salt lake um after leaving a cafe after midnight her naked body was found by hikers nine miles in the northeast in American Fort Canyon on Thanksgiving Day. Corey and I have actually been to the cave been and where she was murdered, and we are going there next week yep. um, to record things for our next episode and take pictures and stuff and also clean up a bunch of trash because a bunch of people vandalize it. So True. we're going to go clean up her 
her grave in a sense. Yeah. Was it was is she just the only one that was there? Uh yeah, she was the only one that was oh, there. Oh wow. Okay. Um, so Laura and Melissa, well, you know, there I'm sure there was more, but she's the only one that he admitted to, but Oh, okay. You okay. know, he admitted to what 24 murders, but it's speculated he did 35, but the it's real number is in the 50s. Like yeah. So these are the people that he actually was like, yeah, I killed killed this bitch or Ted I think the serial killer would end up killing her, his third person yes, thing. Yes. Now, Laura and Melissa, the last two girls I talked about, they were both beaten, raped, sodomized, and strangled with nylon stockings. Now, years later, Bundy described his post-mortem rituals with specifically Melissa and Laura, um, that he actually brought them back to his apartment while they were still alive, and he would bathe them, paint their nails, dress them up, put makeup on them, and, like, you know, they're his toys. Like, sit down and have dinner with them sit down and rape them and stuff all while they're like in and out of consciousness and then eventually he killed them oh my god then, while they're in and out of consciousness yeah and then Fuck eventually that. that's creepy you know eventually he took melissa to the area where her body is found and he killed her and that's why like the post-mortem exam said she was alive after she was taken and then with laura like he took her to the american fort cave and then ended up raping killing and raping again her there so now we're at november 8th 1974 so this is like three weeks after you know, the American Fork Canyon cave murder that we're going to go visit that murder site soon. Carol Durant, she was 18 years old. She was at Fashion Place Murray, which Ooh, is the whoop. best mall in Utah. Fashion Place. It has Urban Outfitters, Lush, but Sephora. It might get Zara. It might get Zara. That's It is getting Zara. Fuck yes. And it has the fucking Crate and Barrel and it has the Container Store. It's lit, guys. Yeah, y'all. And it has Cheesy Factory. It's lit. So she was at the Fashion Place Murray Mall, which is less than a mile from the Midville restaurant. Um, where Melissa Smith was last seen. Now, Bundy approached her, and he said that he is a police officer, and he found someone trying to break into her car. He was very polite, and he asked if she wanted to see if anything was missing. So she followed him out to her car and immediately noticed that nothing was missing, but he kept leaning forward and was trying to push her to look closer into her car. Mm. Um, she won it, and uh, and that's when he said that, okay, well, they're holding the guy down at the station and was wondering if she wanted to come with him to the station to file a complaint or uh you know press charges against him she started feeling a little weird she was like this is a little weird situation like i can see my car's fine i don't know like it's not super typical for this type of situation to happen so she asked to see some form of identification to prove that he was an officer and he whipped out a badge and he was like here i am i'm officer whatever the fuck is dingleberry his, yeah <laughs> officer dingleberry <laughs> <laughs> and so she was like oh okay like you're an officer i automatically trust you and she walked with them to his now yellow volkswagen beetle because oh, he sold his brown one before mm -hmm. like moving to utah so same same type of cars different color um, now, she notes when she walked up to the Volkswagen, she was like, this is a little odd. He's in a bug, not a cop car. Maybe he's undercover. You know, he showed me the badge. I feel a little weird, but we're just going to go just with it. Just trust him. It's Just fine. trust him. He's handsome. He's polite. He's oh, nice. He's so handsome. He's Yeah. He, so anyway, so they started going down the main street, <laughs> but suddenly he pulled over to the side street on a curb next to like an elementary school. Oh, God. And at this point, she was like, okay, something seriously is wrong. And, like, her entire gut instinct, everything was like, danger, 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 Run, danger. Bitch. You fucked. So she asked him what he was doing, and he grabbed her by the arm, and he started <sighs> to handcuff her. She started fighting back, and during the struggle, he inadvertently fastened both handcuffs to the same wrist. So he fucked up. Now, this mess up was the beginning of the end for 10 Buddy yeah. right here. Now, he pulled out a gun, and he said he's going to blow her fucking head off unless she calms down. She was able to unlock the door, and she threw herself out of yeah. the car and was sprinting through the elementary school parking yes. lot. He started chasing her and they started fighting in the elementary school's parking lot. 
And uh, he, she said he had a crowbar and he was trying to hit her on the head. She was fighting, scratching, kicking, punching, screaming, you name it. She said it was such an intense struggle that all of her nails broke in half. Oh, my God. And she was, like, bleeding. So it, this was, like, evil. She explained that she looked up at him and she just saw these dark, lifeless eyes staring out at oh, her shit. while they were fighting. And he was known Ooh. for his really blue, bright eyes. Yeah. And she said it was just all black, beady eyes, but like, that... emotionless staring yeah and that can go back to um what his the family entity. members and aunt would say yeah how he would switch they literally said like his countenance would change his eyes would go blank and he was not the bundy that the ted bundy that they yeah know. and so this wasn't yeah this was evil that's the last evil. thing a dick sees before i start killing it too so a car started <laughs> coming the other direction and she noticed this and uh so she was able to break loose from bunny's grasp and she sprinted towards the car and she like threw herself into the moving car and oh screamed like take me to the cops take me to the police right now and she was like handcuffed she was bloody disheveled like obviously something was wrong yeah um so she got in the car with another serial killer i'm just kidding but she got to the car with <laughs> a this is, if this was a movie That'd it be would awesome. be like ted bundy's accomplice where he's like yes <laughs> but no so he took her to the police station and she immediately filed a report now bundy he was so upset that she got away and he was just filled with this pent-up rage and needed release so he went and he found another victim 17 year old deborah jean kent yeah. So Deborah Jean Kent was last seen leaving a theater production at her high school to pick up her brother. The school's drama teacher and her student told police that a stranger, a handsome stranger, had asked each of them to come out to the parking lot to identify a car, but they wouldn't. Another student later saw the same man pacing near the back of the auditorium, and the drama teacher spotted him again shortly before the end of the play. So a bunch of people noticed that the stranger they'd never seen before, super handsome guy, was in and out of the auditorium the whole night. Now outside the auditorium, uh, so this is after Deborah was abducted. This is now they're investigating the auditorium. This is the last place she was she was seen. Now outside the auditorium, investigators found a key that unlocked the handcuffs that were used on Carol Durant. Uh-huh. So now suddenly they're connecting. Okay, the guy who attempted this, who kidnapped and attempted this, you know, assault on this woman was at least in the same location. Is it this yeah. guy responsible for this girl missing? Most likely, yes. Um, so now they suddenly have a key witness, Carol, who knows what no he looks intended. like, who knows what he drives, to know everything like this. Um, now, so some let's talk about some events between this kidnap attempt and another string of gruesome Ted Bundy murders. So Elizabeth Klop- Klopfer, we've said her last name like a hundred different God times damn, now. Elizabeth, get, get a last name. Get a different last name. Elizabeth K. So just <laughs> to remind you, she's Bundy's longtime girlfriend. She, like Corey mentioned earlier, she previously reported Ted Bunny to the King County Police in Washington. Mm-hmm. Um, now, she reported him after the beach incident because that's when they, like, released the information. Yeah, his name the is Ted. and stuff like that. And there yeah. was actually, like, four of his friends or acquaintances reported Ted Bundy. Mm-hmm. Um, fun fact about that, he was actually brought in for a lineup, but every single witness did not point him out. They said, with like, no, that's absolutely not the guy we saw. So that's... Damn. A wild ride right there. How the fuck that happened, <laughs> I don't know. They were all smoking weed. The, the sun was shining. His hair was blonde, apparently. It you was know. the 70s. Anyway, <laughs> so Elizabeth, she started reading about all these young women who are now disappearing in Salt Lake. And she was like, okay, shit. Like, Ted disappearing to Seattle. Suddenly, the Seattle killings have stopped. Now he's in Salt Lake, and, and Salt Lake killings have started. Um, so she called the King County police for the second time. And she was like, Hey, it's me again. Like 
I think you should really look into <laughs> Ted Bundy. Like, hi guys. Um, hey, I know I'm like a woman, and like y'all don't respect that because I'm it's the 70s. But like, I really think it's my boyfriend. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, in December, she even ended up ca- ended up calling the Salt Lake County Sheriff's Office, and she repeated her suspicions. And so Bundy's name was added to their list of suspects. But at the time, there was no credible forensic evidence to really link him to the Utah crimes. It was all a coincidence. Like, oh, yeah, he was in Seattle when those murders happened. Then he moved and those murders are happening. Like, yeah, uh, he's wrong, wrong place, wrong time or whatever. Now, in January of 1975, Bundy returned to Seattle after his final exams and he spent a week with Elizabeth. Um, She did not tell him that she reported him to the police. I mean, obviously, why would she? And she even made plans to visit him in Salt Lake City in August. So they were continuing their relationship, even though she was like, I think he might be a serial killer. I'm not too sure. So now he is back in Utah and Colorado, and he decided to move his murderous rampage from Utah into Colorado. So he wanted to spice things up again. Again, this is like what Corey talked about, how he studied with cops and things like that. So he understands how states don't really talk to each other, especially at this time. So now a lot of heat was getting... And to Utah, people were talking about it. So, of course, he's going to switch. Just like when everyone started talking about Seattle, he switched to Utah. People were talking about Utah. Let's switch to Colorado. So now we're at January 12th, 1975. Happy birthday, Grandma. That was her birthday. That was also the year my mom was born. So my grandma was very pregnant. with, Not very pregnant. She just got pregnant with my mom. Hmm. Cute. Interesting. Anyways, Karen Campbell was with her boyfriend and his child at a ski lodge in uh, in Aspen, Colorado. You know Aspen. It's where all the celebrities go every winter. Mm -hmm. Now, they just finished dinner, and she went upstairs to the room on the second floor to grab a magazine. The last time anybody saw her live was she was getting into the elevator to get on the second Whoa. floor. This is like 7 p.m., you know, just right after dinner. Whoa. Everyone's around, well lit, very rich area. Bye. 36 days later, her body was found frozen and partially destroyed from animals. Ew. Now, March 15th, 1975, um, so about two months after that first Colorado murder, Julie Cunningham, she was 26, she disappeared while walking from her apartment to a dinner date with a friend. Bundy later told Colorado investigators that he approached Cunningham on crutches and asked her to ca- to help carry his ski boots to his car, where he clubbed her and handcuffed her, assaulted her, strangled her, killed her, raped her, classic Bundy, and then he ended up dumping her body near a site in Rifle, Colorado. Weeks later, um, he would make the six-hour drive from Salt Lake to visit and rape uh-huh. and defile her remains. Continuously, he would do that. Jesus. He was kind of known for that, where he would visit the locations of the dead bodies as they were decomposing. Well, yeah, some serial killers, that's like how they could only get off yeah. again once they did that. Yeah. So it's getting, the fuckery is just getting crazier. Yeah, that's like, yeah, that's like a pretty classic cycle where they like return to the body, but then they have like diminishing returns of yeah. like the high from that kill, so then they kill again. Yeah. Because uh, suddenly, like, oh, I'm not getting this anymore. I need it's like a drug, essentially. Yeah. Um, now, April 6, 1975. So this is a month later. Denise Lynn Oliverson, she was 25. She disappeared near the Utah-Colorado border in Grand Junction while she was riding her bicycle to her parents' house. All that was found was her bike and her sandals near a railroad bridge. Oh, that, that image it. is. That, it's haunting that's haunting yeah, yeah. it's like it, it affected me you're like this is her this is all that's this left. is the last like she was like her sandals so he like ripped her off the bike yeah and like her bike and sandals Fuck. like that was the very last spot she stood this last time she was normal yeah and alive yeah basically. she was just riding her bike to her parents house like i ride my bike to the grocery store yeah 
yeah. Anyway, so now May 6, 1975, a month later, exactly a month later, Bundy lured 12-year-old Lynette Don Culver from Alameda Junior High School in Pocatello, Idaho, which is 160 miles north of Salt Lake City. I will pass through Pocatello yeah. tomorrow. Uh, so you could visit hours. this spot. He drowned her. If you want to visit the spot. No, thanks. Um, he drowned her and then sexually assaulted her in his hotel room. So he took her back to the hotel room. Wait, a 12-year-old a 12-year-old. Girl? So how Holy this happened. Shit, I didn't know. So that. he he was driving through Idaho. He was getting like more and more sexually frustrated, more enraged. And he came across a group of sc- little school children, little middle schoolers. And somehow he was able to strike up a conversation with Lent and convinced her to get in, her, in his car. And her friends were like, what the fuck? <laughs> and then... Um, if I was that little girl's friend in the background, I'd be like, what? I'd be like, fuck, girl. <laughs> Please don't. So then he took her to his hotel room continuously raped her and then drowned her in his bathtub and then raped her again holy shit and then he ended up disposing her body in the river north of pocatello now so we have multiple murders spread across washington utah idaho colorado it's all you know Uh all right there and now if you look at the murders and the data you can obviously see a pattern and link with them together but at the time information was harder to get across state lines no one was talking so the people in Colorado had no idea the Seattle stuff was happening, had no idea the Utah stuff or the Idaho thing happened. So it was very easy for him to get away with these crimes because he's like, okay, commit eight murders, jump to the next state. Um, now, in between some more murders, because, you know, murders, not murders, murders, not murders. Here we are, Ted Bundy. In mid-May, three of Bundy's Washington friends, including Carol Ann Boone, um, she is someone who I may or may not do a case file on because he had a relationship with her. Mm-hmm. Anyways, uh, she visited him in Salt Lake and stayed there for a week at his apartment. She and him were like romantically involved, even though he was still dating Elizabeth. Even like he was had a million girlfriends. Oh yeah, he, he had was, so many yeah. lovers and people that were just totally in love with him. Um, now Bundy, he also spent a week in Seattle with Elizabeth in early June, and they even discussed getting married the following Christmas. Damn. Now, again, Elizabeth made no mention of her multiple discussions with the police (laughs) in King County and Salt Lake, and Bundy disclosed neither his ongoing relationship with Carolyn Boone nor his other long-term relationships in Utah, the women's name. There's one girl, Kim Andrews, another girl, Sharon Auer. I mean, there's so many women that he's been dating at this point. It's weird he didn't kill any of them. Why? That's like... Who knows? I would love to become a psychology major just to unravel that right there. Now, back to murder. So, on June 28th, Susan Curtis, she vanished from Brigham Young University Provo. What? Walking across campus, just like Corey and I used to do every single day. That is about less than five miles away from where we're sitting right now. Yeah. She was walking, you know, between... Wait, oh, n- yeah, it's like a mile. It's like a mile. Yeah. Right in Provo. This is about 45 miles south of Salt Lake, for those of you who aren't familiar with Utah. Um, so fun fact, Corey and I met at BYU in case you didn't gather that. Yeah. Um, so she, you know, she was walking from the Wilk to the library, something like, you know, everyone. Does it say specifically? No, but she was walking in the middle of campus. So yeah. to me that equals like near the library because uh-huh. that's like the heart of campus. Yeah. She's walking through, you know, BYU campus doing her thing, going to class. And, uh, she just completely disappeared, just vanished in thin air. Um, now Curtis's murder became Bundy's last confession tape recorded moments before he entered the execution chamber. Um, now her body was never recovered. What really happened to Susan Curtis? We don't know, but he said like, I'm responsible for Susan Curtis's death. So where she's buried, I, my guess is rock Canyon because it's right there. Rock Canyon. That's the easiest Canyon for him to have access to for, and within the car. We tripped acid there. I don't, (laughs) 
Yeah. Um, there's a cave. Do you remember that cave we yeah. would go to? <gasps> uh-huh. Oh, fuck. I always Ew. knew I didn't Ew. like that cave. But my guess is he, like, it was through Provo Canyon somewhere, probably Rock Canyon, where he just Yeah, or even the body. Provo River, because the Provo River. The like, Rape Trail. That yeah, is notorious for crime in yeah. Provo. Ooh. Yeah, her body's never found. He kidnapped her and killed yeah. her right next to us. Now, around the same time, Shelly Robertson and Nancy Baird, Bard, they disappeared in Colorado. Shelly's body was found in a mine shaft while Nancy's was never found. So murder after murder after murder. So now we are a at mine August. Shaft? What the fuck? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for pointing that out because I read my I wrote down mine shaft and I was like, I don't know what the fuck I'm writing anymore. I'm scared. <laughs> and I was like, we're going to mine shafts now. Jesus like, okay. okay, it's escalating. It's just continuously escalating. Now we're at August 1975. So on August 16th of 75, Bundy was arrested by Utah Highway Patrol Officer Bob Hayward. Bundy was cruising in a residential area. This was pre-dawn, so like early hours, but he didn't have his lights on. He was going pretty fast. So the cops like shined his light at Bundy, and Bundy saw that. And so he started like speeding away like crazy. So the cop was like, okay, Stupid. I, I got to go pull him over. <laughs> That's a little odd. Like he totally would have gotten away with it if he didn't yeah. just start speeding away. He was away. like, hey, dude, turn your lights on. Yeah, like yeah. it's just not safe. So the officer stopped him, and at first he was like, oh, it's no big deal. Here's a handsome law student, Mormon guy, like super charismatic. Everything's fine. Who sped um, away. Yeah, but then he like <laughs> looked down, and he noticed that the front seat passenger was removed and placed towards the rear. And then he, so he was like, okay, this is a little odd. I'm going to arrest you for evading a police officer, and we're going to search your car. So they found in his car a ski mask, a second mask fashioned from pantyhose, a crowbar, handcuffs, trash bags, a coil of rope, an ice pick, and other items initially assumed to be burglary tools. Now, Bundy later explained that the ski mask was for skiing. Um, he had found the handcuffs in a dumpster, and the rest were common household <laughs> items. So he was like, oh, there's a clear explanation for that. Um, however, Detective Jerry Thompson remembered a similar suspect in a car description from the 1974 Carol DeRoche Damn. kidnapping. And which matched Bundy's name from Elizabeth Clover's December 1974 call. So finally, detectives connecting the dots. He was like, this bitch Elizabeth called in about Ted Bundy. Now we have him. And he's like the white girl meme where she's like. Yeah, the the, the math. So he's like, okay, Elizabeth called about Ted Bundy. Now we just arrested Ted Bundy. His description matches the kidnapper slash a potential assaulter Uh of Carol. So he's like, okay, we're connecting the dots. So let's um, go search his apartment. I forget exactly which official it is, but one of the dudes, or I think the county jail itself or like that precinct still has that to this day, still has that satchel. Really? Uh huh. The the author of my book. We should go try to see it. Yeah, the author of my book was able to see it, and like, <gasps> do you think he, they would let us see it? Yeah, he actually like he took it in this book. He has pictures that he was able to take it home for a night, and then open it up with the ski mask and everything, and then take pictures at his home, and his like wife saw it. Isn't that fucking crazy? Do you think we could see it? Yeah, we might be able to. Yeah. Oh my god. Yeah, they still have it at least like from my knowledge. When I get back from Hawaii, I think the picture was taken in like go. two thousand two or something let's like that. go okay when i get back from hawaii let's fucking do this oh i guess 2002 is 17 years ago <laughs> um i also want to go well eventually for fun to the utah state prison <laughs> to no well no just because i'm interested to hear because ted bunny stayed okay i'm gonna get that in a second okay now um it, so they said where did i leave off okay so they started connecting the dots so now they're like let's go search the apartment so when looking through his apartment, police found a guide to Colorado ski resorts when he checked marked 
the Wildwood Inn, and that's where Karen Campbell was last seen going into the elevator, never seen again. That's so crazy. Um, and he also saw a brochure that advertised the Viewmont High School play, and that's where Deborah Kent disappeared. She saw that play and then left the play to go pick up her brother and is never seen again. That's also where they found the key to the handcuffs that uh, were around Carol's wrists. Now, the police, they did not have sufficient evidence to detain Bundy, so he was released, even though they found all that. Ha- Lol. Court systems, y'all. Lol. It's so... I, it's a mystery. Um, Bundy later said that the searches th- that the searchers missed a collection of Polaroid photographs of his victims. So they they just didn't find it in his house. Oh my god! So as soon as he was released, he destroyed all he burned all the photographs and completely destroyed the evidence. Pretty Fuck. much, he went through his house and he's like, evidence, 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 and burned it. So like he pointed out, like there were obvious pieces of evidence that they completely missed. So boo. police department that is a very common theme with true crime is like oh the police fucked up here and fucked up they're human though it's like it's fine i mean so that's the reason why it's true crime we're talking about is because this was the one or few times that they messed up yeah exactly now salt lake city police placed bundy on a 24 hour surveillance um, and thompson flew to seattle with two other detectives to interview elizabeth quilfer like face to face now, she told them that in the year prior to Bundy's move to Utah, she discovered objects that she couldn't understand in her house and in Bundy's apartment. Mm-hmm. These included crutches, a bag of plaster of Paris that he admitted stealing from a medical supply house, um, a meat cleaver that was never used for cooking, surgical gloves, an oriental knife in a wooden case that he kept in his glove compartment in his car, a sack full of women's clothing. Yeah. If you ever find those items you're dating a serial killer in my fucking car or in my fucking house well that's why she was like my boyfriend yeah well that's why she's like my boyfriend's a serial killer like whatever like she's like he has women's there's a bag of women's clothing she's like there's knives in women's clothing like oh my god now when when she confronted him he warned her if you tell anyone i'll break your fucking neck what the fuck warning 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 red flag red flag red flag now, shortly thereafter, Clover was interviewed by Seattle homicide detective Kathy McChesney. So now they're all taking Elizabeth a little bit more serious. So now we're September 1975. She's like, guys, my boyfriend is a serial killer. She's like, I've been saying this for a year. <laughs> <laughs> so it is important to note, side note here, in defense of Seattle Police Department, um, they were getting calls, like hundreds of calls every true, day of girls true. being like, I think my boyfriend, I think my husband, I think my girlfriend. And so, you know. Them ruling out Elizabeth, they were just ruling out her because she was one of the thousands of people mm-hmm. calling. So I, you, you can blame them, but also like they were just trying to do their jobs. But also he had a bag of women's clothing. And said, I'll break your fucking neck. So like it's a little <laughs> and the crimes followed wherever he was traveling. So now we're in September 1975. Bundy sold his Volkswagen, uh, his Volkswagen Beetle to a Midvale teenager. Huzzah. What? Now, Utah police impounded it immediately, and FBI came out, and they dismantled it and searched it. Fuck the FBI. I believe his, his uh, bug is in a crime museum right oh, now. Oh, it is? Okay, I'm pretty good. sure it is. Um, now, they found hairs matching samples obtained from Karen Campbell, Melissa Smith, and Carol Durant's bodies, or the people's. So they're finding all these women hairs in Oh, his um, they car. actually... He also got to see that they're actually like little capsules in vials filled. They're mostly pubic hair. <gasps> mm-hmm. There, there are there are locks of hair, but there's like he got like when he got the picture of that satchel, the author dude, Michael Myers, but it's not Michael. It's Myers. Kevin Smith or something. Kevin, <laughs> let's it's, see how close we were. It's Kevin. What do you think it is? It's Kevin. I think it's Kevin Smith. It's Kevin Hart, the comedian. Okay, I'm still saying Michael Myers. <laughs> 
It is Kevin Sullivan. Fuck yeah. There we go. You I'm got Kevin. Closer. That's good. And I had a last name sort of an S. Uh, actually, the middle, his middle initial is an M. So maybe it's Kevin Michael Myers Sullivan. Kevin Michael Myers Smith. <laughs> so Smith. we're both right. Yeah. <laughs> So he basically saw like uh, there were little capsules full of their pubic hair and or uh, like locks of hair. Now, let's talk. Let's 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 unpack that for one second, because in order for one that much pubic hair. Right. To be there. Do you know how forceful that must be? Yeah. To rip. Yeah. To rip out like that much pubic hair to like actually get a legitimate sample mm-hmm. like that is like a forceful violent rape. yeah yeah and they're like yeah they're like tufts of it yeah in the picture oh my god uh-huh. i did not read that i'm glad i didn't read that earlier mm-hmm. i would have like i want to go for a walk after yeah. learning that that's it's like that's horrific. ridiculous so now we're at october 1975 this is october 2nd police called carol and they told her that they have a suspect in her kidnapping case um she went to the station to look at the police lineup so when Ted, he heard about the, that the lineup was happening, he called Michael Priest, just a reminder who he is. He is the Mormon guy, the stake president. Uh-huh. Um, and he said that he was really upset and that he was scheduled to be in a lineup. The Mormon guy said Ted's demeanor, he was like he was speaking to a different Ted on the phone. Because normal Ted was patient and charming and confident and like, everything's okay. But this Ted was anxious and really upset and kind of neurotic. Yeah, and just to express um, a little bit of, like, the little insight that we have into the Mormon church, he was a stake president, right? Yeah. So um, for y'all, we have, like, congregations, and that's, like, a common word used for religion. So, like, let's just do the Catholic church. You have congregations of Catholic church, and they're run by a Catholic priest. Yeah. And then multiple Catholic priests are, from my knowledge, then run by a bishop. So then multiple congregations um, are under the jurisdiction for a just a lack of a better word of a bishop so a stake president is over multiple bishops yeah basically to say so multiple like areas or congregations yeah so he he was in charge of multiple so yeah he's like a very looked up person in the community and and ted bunny had a close relationship with him yeah um so like i mentioned he had that conversation with ted bunny over the phone and ted was like a total different ted that he was talking to he was really neurotic and anxious and was very like back and forth and like the conversation, it was very unnerving when he was talking to him because okay. it was just like a little weird. Like if this guy was really innocent, you wouldn't be as panicky and as like crazy as he was being, especially with Ted's normal behavior where he was calm, cool, and collected Ted. And now yep. suddenly he's crazy Ted, like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. Like I, I, I'm not responsible for this, but they're put, giving me to a lineup. I don't really know what's going on and blah, blah, blah. Like that's just not normal oh, for who he is, for who he thought he was. Now, when Ted went into the lineup, he completely changed his appearance. He he cut his hair and he changed his part. Uh, and so he looked like a completely different person. Like the police were like, what and, the fuck? And Bundy has that kind of face where different angles, different lighting. He yeah. looks like a different person sometimes. Yeah. And he like dressed up like a total different style. Like he completely dressed like a different human being. He looked like a different person. Um, now, they got other people in the lineup, but the only people that were available for the lineup were other police officers. So Ted Bundy was the only person who was not a police officer the in the lineup. The only without a crew cut. <laughs> yeah. Now, how that is I, – I don't know what the laws are. But, True. And not to defend Ted Bundy, but to me, like, I kind of disagree with that, that they did a lineup and they yeah. it was all cops because – I, that's not really fair. Like, do other criminals? Because, of course, she's going to pick up Ted Bundy, like, not one of the other cops or something. Yeah, but. one of these things is not like... And, like, other. if she pointed to one of the guys that wasn't Ted Bundy, they're like, well, that's a cop. She doesn't know what she's talking about. Like, she obviously met Ted Bundy. 
So I, I just don't think that's really fair. But I don't know how lineups work. So that could be a normal thing. Sure, sure. Anyways, Carol, though, she immediately pointed at Ted Bundy. She was like, that's fucking him. And they would have them in a lineup. They, like, walk up, say something, walk back. And she said, like, the second she laid her eyes on him and he took a step forward, she said, that's him. Uh. And, like, just this sense of just dread just overtook her entire body. Now, on the same lineup, um, witnesses from Bountiful. So it's from the people that are like, oh, yeah, we saw a strange guy in the auditorium, like a strange, handsome fellow who asked us to go out and see cars or whatever. They also picked him out to be the stranger who lurked around the high school auditorium Ooh. that kidnapped and killed the girl. Uh-huh. Um, but there was insufficient evidence to link him directly to Deborah Kent. It was just they're like, yeah, that looks like the guy. But there's more than enough evidence to charge him with aggravated kidnapping and attempted criminal assault at the, to Carol Durant. So in that case, yeah, he was freed on $15,000 bail, which was paid by his parents. And he spent most of the time between indictment and the trial um, in Seattle living in Alyssa or not Alyssa, Elizabeth Klopfer's house. Now, Seattle police, they had insufficient evidence to really charge him with the Pacific Northwest murders, but they did keep him under close surveillance. Elizabeth said, like, whenever they would drive anywhere, she would just notice, like, all the undercover cops, like, following them around. (sighs) But he didn't notice. Maybe he did. He probably did. He was too smart. Yeah. But, um, okay, so now we're at November 1975. So three principal Bundy investigators, Jerry Thompson from Utah, Robert Keppel from Washington, and Michael Fisher from Colorado, finally got together and met in Aspen, Colorado, and they started talking and exchanged all the information with 30 other detectives and prosecutors from five states, all about Ted Bundy. Y'all, this is like 18 or not, like just under two years later from his first known attack and murder. And this was actually one of the first times, like in history, that something like this really happened, where all the state, like all these officers, detectives, like you know. 40, 50 They're people like, came Yo. together <laughs> to have a conference about one specific person that they think is their shared victim. Yeah. Now, while officials left the meeting convinced that Pun- that Bundy was the murderer they sought, um, they agreed that they did need more hard evidence before they could sex- successfully charge him. Because, again, they could just place him or there. Or sexfully charge him. Or like sexually charge him. He probably would want that. Yeah. They could place him there, kind of, but they couldn't really place him there. You know, like... Yeah, he could have been there, just like Corey could have been. It might not 100% hold up in court, so yeah. they need to find more hard evidence. Exactly. Yeah. So now we're at February 1976. So this is the trial for Durant's Durant's kidnapping. Durant. Hidden Valley Durant's kidnapping. So on <laughs> February 23rd, 1976, Bundy stood trial for the Carol Durant's kidnapping. Um, on the advice of his attorney, John O'Connell, Bundy waived his right to a jury due to negative publicity surrounding the case. Um, now, the reaction of Bundy going to trial from the LDS church was pretty yeah, unique. Yeah, y'all, y'all get ready for this. Now, they all were convinced that he was innocent, so they came together to support him in court. They donated money, sent him letters. They, like, held up posters and banners like, we love you, Ted. Like, he's innocent. Uh-huh. Free him. Um the LDS church, Carol's friends, her family, they all started questioning Carol. Like, they are you sure? Her. She got threats. Yeah, she got threat. They're, they're alienating her. Like, how could you say it was Ted Bundy? It wasn't Ted Bundy. Like, you're wrong. You're wrong. You must be mistaken. Like, everyone's just trying to find a person. The so they're fault. blaming Ted Bundy. It's your fault. And uh, it was just getting completely out of hand. You know, Ted Bundy, he was handsome. He was successful. How could it be him? He's an LDS student. He's a law student with no previous criminal record. You're wrong, Carol. Yeah. You're wrong. 
Now, Ted, he wanted to be involved with the case, so he took complete control of the media and the audience. He was loving the spotlight. So this is when you started seeing the shift of Ted, where he was just loving the attention. Mm -hmm. Where all eyes, everyone was talking about Ted. Oh, Ted, you're innocent. Oh, Ted, you're a killer. What's Ted going to do next? What does he have to say? And you can see all these interviews with him. He's, like, talking about his future. Yeah, and he's He's like, like, ha-ha, this is awkward but haha yeah and he was like well my time in law class like my time i was in a law student and like haha and like he was just loving it and just playfully joking around with the reporters he was acting very confident that he would not be found guilty yeah he was confident he's going to get away with it and confident he would continue his murder sprees um now and if you watch the interviews it's convincing like you watch Mm -hmm. him and if you know nothing about him at all and you're just someone seeing him on screen for the first time you're like damn i'm on his side like he is convincing he knows how to work he's convincing he does seem a little bit um like neurotic or he's very arrogant yeah yeah or like he seems a little antsy yeah you can tell but that could be nerves you can just write that off exactly yeah yeah i feel like if i was being interviewed outside of a courthouse for attempted kidnapping and let's say i didn't do it yeah. i would be pretty nervous with what i'm saying too yeah and i think he does sort of express too like he does seem to be like visibly shoving off nerves like hey this is like awkward and stuff yeah. but huh let's make a joke of it yeah. Yeah, yeah so his lawyers and ted felt confident for the trial but he was found guilty on march 1st what big shock there so he Went to jail, Utah State Prison. What's up? We pass there like every few days. Mm-hmm. We talked about that during the seri- during the uh, last meal. Ooh, yeah. Spooky scoop. Now, in October, he was found. This is in the Utah State Prison. He was found hiding in the bushes, um, carrying an escape kit, which had roadmaps, airline schedules, and a social security card. And so the, the, people, the police officers who watch the people in jail, what are they called? Like Warden? Wardens. The wardens, like the leader so the guards so like the, the guards, guards and the yeah. wardens they found him so they threw him in solitary confinement for like several weeks damn um eventually so colorado authorities they ended up charging him with karen campbell's murder after a period of resistance he waived extradition um extradition expedition i wrote like two different words here anyways oh, sure. um he ended up being transferred to aspen in january of 1977 now they were able to charge him because they found the brochure of the ski resort in his apartment like i mentioned they found gas slips that placed him within a few miles of the ski resort the day she went Why missing would you keep the fucking brochure um her i know well souvenirs it's part True. of being a serial True. killer now her he they found her hair in his car and a witness eventually came forward saying that they saw Bundy at the resort the morning she disappeared. Damn. So Colorado like put printed out pictures of him pretty much. And like, have you seen this man? And someone's like, oh, my God, I saw him like right before the girl Shit. disappeared. So they had enough evidence to charge him. He got charged. He got sent to Aspen January 1977. And Bundy spent six months in an old school Colorado jail. And he was not happy. He wasn't treated as anything special. He was no longer getting special attention from police, detectives, the media, etc. And he was just obsessed with talking about himself and how much smarter he was than everybody. It was driving him insane that no one was giving him the time of day. So he just became completely obsessive and his arrogance just blew up pretty much. Like any interview you see of Bundy during the time of him in the Colorado jail, it always just had to go back to him, to him, how he was feeling, how he was smarter. Well, my law class was graduating this month and like I should be there. Haha. But instead I'm here. It's such an inconvenience for me. Oh, shit. 
Uh, now, he elected to serve as, uh, as his own attorney so that he could have access to the court's library to research his case. Now, he was confident he was going to win the case, but he was growing impatient with how slow the court system is because that's just kind of well known. Things go really slow around here. Now, he decided that he, uh, he had enough, and so he started planning an escape. So he started preparing um, for an escape from the court's library during his trial. Mm -hmm. So he started practicing jumping from the top of his bunk bed down to the floor to strengthen his legs for impact. Um, he measured the, <laughs> the guards like, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> no, like, but also there, the, the jails like underground, it's in a basement. So people are kind of going crazy there. So like, true, true, you can kind of write it off. as like, they're just, he's just dry. It's been six months in a dark cell. That's true. Um, now he measured the distance from the court to an alley an alley to the Creek, a Creek to the mountains. Um, and he would run the distance in his tiniest cell every single day, try to get faster and faster and faster. Ugh. He was like working out, you know, religiously. He was just trying to get in like peak condition to survive jumping out of a window and escaping. Um, and he also would practice changing his clothes quickly and he cut his hair to look different. Finally, it was the day of the trial. Now, like I mentioned, since Bundy was his own lawyer, he did not have to wear ankle shackles or handcuffs. <laughs> And he had access to the court library. So during recess, he went into the library while, you know, the cops were outside the library and people, you know, there was a million cops there. All the cops were there. Prosecutors were there. Media was there. And uh, Bundy was by himself in the court library somehow looking out a window. And he said, in quotes, finally, I stood right before it. I hesitated. You cannot believe the thoughts that flipped through my mind. I could be free. The windows were open and the fresh air was blowing through and the sky was blue. And I said, I'm ready to go. And I walked to the window and jumped out. And before anyone even realized it, Bundy was gone. He escaped. Damn. So that's where I'm going to leave off this episode, his first escape. But come back next week to learn about the rest of Ted Bundy and his wild case. Damn. So, Corey, I guess my question to you is, anyways, has your sex life? My sex life. You're like, I'm emotionally drained. <laughs> studying Ted Bundy. Yeah, same. <laughs> same, same, same. Yeah, so I um, moved. That was the biggest thing. Yes. Yes. You went to a beautiful apartment. So funny thing, literally, if you asked me two weeks ago when I was moving, I would have said four months. And then I moved literally on Wednesday. Yes. <laughs> it's very pretty. Like I it's woke up Sunday morning. And it's near our favorite movie theater. So yes, we're going to get drunk and watch movies all the time. Yes, bitch drunk walk there yeah bitch. i'm so excited um so yeah apartment's great living with chris uh we love it um and yeah we saw la llorona this week yeah we saw la llorona it was this a week. fun one it was good it was good classic horror classic I, straight a yeah it was very straightforward nothing like out of the ordinary so it wasn't like it's not like super great but it was fun it was a fun one i enjoyed it the problem with with seeing it is whatever happened the theater we saw it at, the volume oh my was way God. too high. Like someone messed up. Like they turned up the volume. It was like 10% higher than what it should have been. Uh -huh. So it was like jarring. So anytime even a normal conversation was happening, you would jump because it was so loud. Yeah, like if it was quiet and then somebody said anything. Like you would jump. Uh -huh. If you forgot to prepare yourself. Yeah, uh -huh. exactly. So because of that, I was like anxious on an edge the whole time. So it almost took away from the movie. I think maybe I would have enjoyed it. It was a little oh, bit quieter because yeah. I think those beats of horror would have been a little bit more True. defined. Where the whole entire movie, it was like at a five, <laughs> and then like it would jump up to a ten instead of like going back down to a two. Yeah, you're like, oh my god. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, because you're like, ah. The yeah, whole time. but the whole time wow. I was like 
tense. I was like, I need a massage after. But yeah, there were some really good like uh, set pieces. There's really one good part in the bathroom. We won't say much about it. It was cool though. But it was cool. I think it's worth going to see. I mean, oh, again, y'all, like we just really appreciate horror. So we give it a lot of room. Um, again, it is a very just like run of the mill classic horror. It's nothing. There really aren't any you know, risks taken with yeah. this that much. I mean, I guess the risk is that it is like more focused to a like Catholic or Hispanic audience. So I yeah. guess that's, that's a good risk that I, that you enjoy. And there's actually a lot of good things that they say in Spanish that they don't even give subtitles to Yeah. that. I was like, Oh cool. That was actually sort of something important that they said, but they just left it in Spanish because it was more mysterious or something like that to yeah. the, you know, common English audience or something like that. Yeah. But yeah, I enjoyed it a lot. Looking back, I, I yeah, we didn't talk about seeing Pet Cemetery. Maybe uh, we did. I don't remember. I, don't I was know. so bored listening Snooze. to it. <laughs> it gave me a panic attack and a half. I sobbed in the movie theater. You did. Oh, it's not a good time sorry. for me because Toulouse died. But um, it wasn't. It was not a good movie. Oh, I, I was okay with it. I thought it was. It was. It was totally fine. But I really, I listened to a podcast with the director, um, or directors, I think. Um, yeah, I think directors, I think they're a brother duo or just a duo. What they did with Pet Cemetery is there's a big twist in it that we won't give away, but it's a, it's a deviation from the story or from, uh, Stephen King's novel. And what it does is it allows them to dive deeper into adult conversations about death. Okay. Um, and, and you know, the, the, cha- or so, you know, the person who dies. Yeah. It's the opposite. The other one is supposed to oh, die. Oh, yeah. I know that. Yeah. That's what Jordan so, told me after we left. Yeah. So, um, that might give stuff away, but whatever. Shut up. Like, suck it up, bitch. Um, <laughs> it's not that good a movie. Like, it's not, yeah. it's not worth to go yeah. see in theaters. I thought that was interesting and cool. And it was nice to hear that from them because that, that does give it some merit. And I did, I do like the movie more thinking about that. But yeah, I just feel like there were there were a lot of pacing issues. It was a lot of pacing issues. They I thought they were going to go into the like backstory, the origin. You of, can say Wendigo. That's okay. Fine. Yeah, I thought they were going to go into Wendigo. So they set and it they up that they were. It and it's but oh, they didn't. Just sit, my tits were so hard. Yeah, and then they just left it. It was probably one of the most disappointing times. One Biggest of my most disappearing horror blue balls ever. Yeah, definitely one of the most disappointing experiences I've had in a movie in a long time because mm-hmm. they. They literally set up the movie to go into Wendigos, and they don't. And the trailer makes you think it's going to be all cultish Wendigo-ish. Yeah, but yeah, yeah we'll just tell you this now, so you're not disappointed. If you're like expecting us. Wendigos up your asshole, you ain't getting it. Yeah, and that is like, I wish someone told us that before we went to see it, because yeah. I think I would have had different expectations for the movie. Mm-hmm, yeah. And uh, just the movie for me, there was just no payoff. There was never a moment where I was like, yes, like... They yeah, did they it. Stumble. Like they reached there. They stumble, but there are there are good nuggets of potential, and, and there's there, one really good. Scene. There are some good like philosophical looks into death, into death, and because of the change that they made, they're able to explore that more. Because like spoilers, just stop listening. Because the girl is older. Yeah. And in the book, it, it's supposed to be the young boy. Yeah. Like so, when because it's an older girl, she's able to communicate and express. Um, what uh, like death and how she's like this isn't what I thought it would be or like she can express that she's different but she sort of knows what's going on yeah and and so I thought that was cool looking back on it I was like oh okay they obviously tried to do something there. they should have just did a different trailer they should have yeah. set up the movie to have different expectations yeah true because they set it up to be a horror film featuring yeah. Wendigos and, and this is so oh, sorry go but it was just more of a a movie focusing on 
how you handle death and not letting go plus some scary elements but like yeah. the trailer set up to be a totally different movie than yeah, what it was totally different the, yeah. the trailer is so good yeah the trailer was well, i was excited or at least the trailer we saw was so good yeah and, and i, I know it. like pet cemetery the whole message behind it is like letting go after death and blah 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 and the whole like grieving process it has to go through that but i just I, they just gave us different expectations for what the movie was going to be yeah. so i was really like fuck and i was so excited because like when it came out in the 90s or like I think it's like 1989 or something. They like had to take out the Wendigo aspects that are in the book because you know it was the 90s audience, so they weren't really into that crazy ass fantastical lore. Yeah. Um. I mean, even though the 80s were super fantastical, I thought like I was like, oh hey, we have a modern audience. All of us are fucking nerds. We all grew all like millennials. We grew up on fucking Lord of the Rings. Yeah. Like give us some crazy ass lore shit. Yeah. Like we want it. And they didn't. Yeah, they didn't. And they set it up to do it, and they didn't. Yeah. So I was like, fuck you. Yeah. <laughs> like, we all ended the movie, and we're all like, okay. And the girl right behind me said, well, that was shit. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I started laughing. I would say it's still worth to go see just because I like any horror movie, really. Yeah. But you, it might not. I would say if you go see one, go see La Llorona because it's different. Yeah. yeah. And I don't think Pet Cemetery is a, worth it to see in the movie. We're, we're in the movie theater. Where La Llorona is would be way way more fun in the movie theater than yeah and they, they do room. they have some good set pieces but again y'all it is a very basic straightforward horror movie but it's a fun one it's not bad yeah. it's just fun yeah definitely. it's just very basic but you know yeah. how like you see some horror films you're like that was that was bad <gasps> Ooh, and it connects to the conjuring universe uh, the conjuring universe y'all and we didn't i didn't even know it was going to and i was like yeah so that was a fun we like yelled in the theater <laughs> so definitely probably watch it before the next annabelle movie and the next conjuring three because i'm sure they're all going to tie into each other eventually mm-hmm. so watch it if you appreciate james Mom. Yes. Well, um, anything so else happening with your sex life? Anything else? Would uh, no, actually, nothing happened with Law Daddy because uh, I forgot that we were moving Chris on Monday, so uh, I had bummer. to cancel. And so yeah, but I'll have my fun Boise sex on the way back. Oh yes, <laughs> you'll tell fun. us that next. And week. then and then the, a couple that I had set up with before they're in they're coming back from a trip, and then I get back from my trip, and so stuff will happen. So yeah, I'm excited. Yes, daddy. Yes. But yeah, no real sex life stuff. Just been Ted Bundy. Yeah, same. This whole week has been like nonstop work, work Ted for Bundy me. and moving. That's pretty much it. Yeah, it's been like, I literally think every night I've maybe had 30 minutes to an hour like by myself. And now Jordan's super sick. I'm getting sick. And then we have, we're going to Hawaii next week. So it's been like back to back stuff. Cool. But uh, nothing too crazy. Oh my God. Actually, everyone, I, I met our <gasps> Simone's oh, yeah. new sister. Uh, or sisters we haven't decided yet so mm-hmm. i'm going to be posting something on instagram tomorrow which is saturday so two days ago from when you're listening to this um i'm posting a couple of pictures of them on instagram um, one of the kitties we would name her toast oh. and the other one we would name her s'mores we're just not sure which one we're going to get yet we'll be able to pick them out and pick them up on may 8th yay so because simone has been very 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 sad she's very yeah. lonely since Tulu's passed away, and it's been about two months since Tulu's passed away, so it's about time to get her mm-hmm. a new companion. So yeah, so we're gonna be getting a kitty soon. It'll be two days on or two months on Sunday from when Tulu's passed away. What uh-huh. what day is today, Chana? <gasps> it's officially four twenty. Dun, dun, dun. We're definitely not participating. <laughs> <laughs> Lol. Um, um, no, I'm with my parents. Yeah, we're not. I don't think last, I don't think I've participated in 420 since like 46. Yeah. Last year I did because Jordan and I got super stoned and then we made vegan nachos. 
Ooh. And it was like a week after I turned vegan for the first time mm-hmm. or went vegan. So I was like, oh my God. And we watched Great British Baking Show for like four oh, and a half nice. hours. And I was stoned eating nachos. Nice. And I was like, I love my life. Like, <laughs> but uh, yeah, today's 420. Happy holidays. Blaze Happy it. Happy holidays. Happy holidays. Today was Good Friday. Then we have 420. And then Easter. And then Easter. Yeah, Got- I'm doing a Seder dinner, I think. Oh, fun. I love Seder dinners. I'm going to be sick on Sunday. I already know it. I could like, as this episode has been going, I've been feeling myself get sicker like, and sicker. I feel it. <laughs> I'm like, wonderful. Uh, but so this is part one of Ted Bundy. Part two will be out next Monday. Mm-hmm. We have bonus episodes. We have Patreons. We have cool things we're posting on Instagram soon. So keep, keep, uh, keep your tits up. Keep your tits up. And your eyes. Stay oh, tuned. Tuned. My dudes. <laughs> and our question for you guys while you're staying tuned is anyways. House. Your. Sex. Life. Bye. Bye, guys.